I really I'm not doubting that I would like it. It sounds delicious. I'm just saying. Well, pizza. I get the red light. Hey, shut up. The podcast is starting. It's probably good. Yeah. Okay. No, keep going. It's fine. <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Celluloid Breakdown. I'm Joey Bonnier. To my right is Sean Faw. Sean Faw. Across from him is Derek Laporte. That's me. Next to him is Tim Snow. Hey, it's me. And we have a special guest today, Andrew Pearson. Hello. Hey, Andrew. Ooh, applause. It's so nice. I feel so welcome. Yeah, we do that for almost all of our guests, except for me. <laughs> well, you're not a guest anymore. I'm a permanent guest. I'm the permanent guest that you love the best. That's true. Donate to our PayPal. Well, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, yeah, you don't have to uh, participate in our uh, new shenaniganery. Yeah, there you go. Uh, just so everyone knows, the uh, the Patreon has gone live. So uh, <gasps> feel oh, wow. free to uh, wow. jump on that. You can go to Patreon slash Fawcast. That's F-A-U-C-A-S-T. Or you can go right to Fawcast.com and uh, click changing. into our Patreon. The PayPal is still up if anyone other than Joey would care to jo- donate there. Um, but Patreon, for your convenience, has been reinstated. Uh, I will give fair warning to my co-host. Do not get pissed at me when we get kicked off. Okay. <laughs> I am just as surprised as you are, listener, to hear that our Patreon has gone live. We have a Patreon. Keep us afloat. Yeah, please. Yeah, that's, that's, that'd be nice. Yeah. Be nice. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. Stuff don't my make mom. itself. <laughs> yeah. I hope uh, my mother doesn't listen to this. No. I hope my mom doesn't listen. She probably does, though. You know, we watched a movie today, though. We did. We did. We We watched a film. We watched. What did we watch, Tim? Uh, We watched a film uh, called La Notte. We did. By uh, Michelangelo Antonioni. It was a pick from our guest, Andrew Pearson. Mm Mm-hmm. 1961. Quite good. What was that? (laughs) Toothy. Toothy. One of my favorite James Coburn lines. James is a button. I James fucking love it. Nothing toothy. but surprises for me this episode. Nice. This is great. All right, I'll take it. Nice. Um, I don't know why you said toothy there. Are you just, just throwing it in? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What does that even mean? He was actually talking about his dad's grin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was amazing. It was, yeah, that, yeah that, that seems on point. Yeah. Excellent. So, um... Let's dive to uh, the big picture. So we get a little bit of the plot here, the story. Well, what was the movie about? Yeah. Yeah, Tim. So I'm going to go to you because you're oh, our resident Timmer. big so, picture guy. All right. So, you know, I, it, being the big picture guy, mm-hmm. this picture big. Was, was big. Mm. Uh, no, it was it, this this movie was uh, I, you know what? That's going to be my first impression. Honestly, it actually oh. was big because it was 185. Yeah. Well, uh, so that was, you know. Also, it, yes, it was big. <laughs> That's what I said, Sean. I know lots about cinematography. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm the big picture guy. Uh, no, but this, uh, the, so the film is called La Notte, and it takes place over a night. At night. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so we open on El a- Nino is Spanish for- Child. The, 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 the Nino. Nino. Yeah, we know. Oh. The, the, the Nino. Jesus Christ. For the boy, actually. Man, I missed that one completely. Fucking Donate to our Patreon. Chris yeah. Harley is rolling it. in his um, grave. Yeah. Garcon? Yeah, thank you. Mm. But <laughs> the movie, the, shut the fuck up. <laughs> 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 the film opens on a man and a wife uh, going to visit a sick friend in the hospital. And uh, during the time that they're there, the man has an altercation with a, uh, a young woman who seems to be of unsound mind. Mm. Um, Fair assessment. 
in the hospital. Yes. And they, they leave the hospital. <laughs> There's a little gold loom. Yes. 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 Correct. <laughs> Correct. So they leave the, the hospital. Yes. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so they leave the hospital and we see them uh, kind of go their own separate ways after a, a book meeting, a book signing, uh, like a, a social event mm. that they go to in the husband's honor because he's a, he's a, a writer of some renown. Um, and then after that, we follow the follow them separately as they kind of like wander through the world alone. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, go to a dinner party scene. And this whole film is just kind of an, an examination of these two people and the world in which they live. Um, or at least that's what I got. Uh, and uh, that has been the big picture. Donate to the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Interesting that you would end with Donate to the Patreon. Okay. Always going to be subliminal. <laughs> now that we got one, we can do it. The whole episode. Uh, so, Sean, uh, where did, he, did he leave anything out there uh, in the uh, ending? What do you think, Andrew? Did I leave anything out? Yeah, let's go to Andrew. Yeah, let's <laughs> not go to Sean. <laughs> I think that was a great summation of all the things that are going on in the movie. I think if we want to maybe look at a larger picture, contextually speaking, and I know we're going to get more into Big historical picture. context later on in the podcast, but looking at an examination of the lack or the inability of humans to connect to each other in a struggle against modern culture and modern development. And I think these two characters throughout the night, as you mentioned, they do end up often going their separate ways. We spend time with Marcello Mastriani's character and Jean Moreau's character doing kind of their own things in similar environments or different areas throughout uh, the city. Mm -hmm. They end up kind of Connecting, reconnecting, disconnecting, but ultimately end up unable to connect with each other as sort of a larger picture or mm, metaphor, maybe a bit too much of a word for that, but the ability to, or the inability, excuse me, to connect on a human level, person to person. Jesus, man, you almost make it sound like a good fucking movie. It's a great movie. It is a great movie. Yeah. So we're going to get into that later. <laughs> Definitely, because some people don't like gonna, it, clearly. I think we're going to get into that now. Oh, okay. You want to. Yeah. Right, Joey? Sure. You want to. Well, would you the say that it's yeah. Yeah. Well, as long as we yeah, we can go our first impressions. You, Tim, you seem eager. Yeah. So I'm going to go to you. What's your first impression of this movie? Oh. <laughs> I didn't Donate to the Patreon. It's <laughs> yeah. the first impression. You didn't see that coming. <laughs> No, uh, I actually loved this movie. I thought it was great. I just really enjoyed, like, I remember thinking as the movie was going on, just like, man, I'm enjoying every last drop of this movie. Um, But I thought it was, uh, I thought it was fantastic. I really loved Antonioni's eye in it. Uh, I don't remember being, I, I, the only other Antonioni movie I've seen is The Passenger. uh, And I don't remember being quite so struck by the cinematography in that one. But I felt that, like, especially of the movies that we've watched uh, so far on this podcast, um, this is the most modern cinematography that we've seen. Um, the 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 least uh, picture business film, <laughs> mm. um, and it, uh, uh, yeah, I'm re- I'm really partial to films that take place over one day or like one night, you know, just like kind of an examination of life sort of film. I, you know, I loved kids. Um, 
If you haven't seen Empire Records, then uh, you should probably donate to our Patreon. Um, <laughs> One of those is vastly <laughs> superior to the other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Empire Records is fucking great. Yeah, man. Uh, bullshit. Yeah, no, uh, I thought Jean Moreau was fantastic in this. I loved her. Mm-hmm. I don't get Monica Vitti. I don't get <laughs> what? She's just going to be a whole thing later. Yeah, we're going to go I don't get Monica Vitti. That leads us to but, a nice uh, transition. Yeah, no, Let's I, go. Do so, you guys need pistols at dawn or something? I thought it was, Probably. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, 12 paces there. Um, yeah, you do 12, I'll do 8, I'll do 8, I'll turn and shoot, and we'll see who wins. As long as someone doesn't just fire into the air or something. Yeah. I, 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 uh, burr. I thought uh, what Andrew was saying earlier was interesting, that it's uh, an examination of our inability to connect in the face of like modern society. I see that as well, but when I was watching this, I really saw it um, as like uh, kind of a... In a a film about life after the death of love. Um, and uh, just really enjoyed that. I love movies that just examine who we are and why we are with, you know, only questions and no answers, really. Um, but uh, I thought it was good. Thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Donate to the Patreon. <laughs> Over. <laughs> Joey? Uh, so, Derek, uh, let's go to you. What did you think of this? Yeah, movie? I've seen this. Uh, maybe this is only my second time seeing this. I think it is. Um, yeah, it's it's great. I like all of Antonio's stuff for the most part. So, especially his. I like his earlier stuff. Okay. And this is in that. This is part, mid part of a trilogy. What separates his earlier stuff from his uh, other stuff? Um. <laughs> I mean, time. I think color. time, color, excess, <laughs> one might say, excess in some regards. Uh, you think you're, you're better pace when you're- Pace or better, like oh, the pacing of these, I think are better. He does um, tend to like, I mean, I still like some of the later stuff too, and don't get me wrong, but I do like a more languid pace like this is. Hmm? And uh, something that, um, I really get to sense, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about architecture with this because, you know, that's a, that's a whole thing with this, but, um, I sense with all of his earlier films, um, almost a resolution of the image throughout time. And with his later stuff, I don't feel that time pressure as much. Um, and I'll explain that more probably during the camera part. See time. I was right. Thing. Yeah. Okay. But, um, All right. Yeah, I like it. Cool. Let's uh, let's move to Andrew. Uh, obviously, you know, you picked this movie. Yeah, I did. It, <laughs> it is. Uh, it's it's a movie that's been on my mind again for a while over the last couple of weeks or so. Just kind of re-examining stuff, um, looking sort of kind of just a sort of self-programming of a festival of things that I would want to screen if I ever were to program a festival. And this just kind of popped into my head and started revisiting it and then was invited here to the podcast. And I was like, hey, here's a great opportunity to revisit this film with some people that have seen it, some that haven't. And just to kind of see how it translates to more people than just those that exist in my own brain. When Mm -hmm. was the last time you watched it? Uh, The last time I think I watched this film was maybe about a year and a half ago. And how many times have you seen it? Um, Probably this is, I think, time number four. Okay. So. Uh, I I, I mean... Our listeners probably have uh, no frame of reference here, but um, as far as I'm concerned, you're like the only person I know that sees more movies than either me or Derek combined. Um, 
It, would that be a fair statement? <laughs> I, there's definitely some possibility in that. I don't yeah. know. I, I also have had a lot of free time on my hands lately. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there are those days where I've all of a sudden looked at my letterbox and been like, oh, I've watched six movies today. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, granted, most of those days are like, oh, they put the first three Fast and Furious films on Netflix. I should watch those for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. They have but, all three of them? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's like eight of them. <laughs> well, there goes this weekend. And they, they, they have the three on there that are actually about cars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or well, the new one's about Superman, so that's going to oh, be sweet. Yeah. Well, there's one good one that's about Tyrese. Um, isn't that the new one? No. No, no, that's two. No. Yes. <laughs> we all agree. <laughs> so what did you think of the, or what, I guess, what is your impression of your latest screening of this then? Um, it just, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that just, it always seems to just sit with me so well. I really enjoy the film. I never really feel like it drags much, uh, which is often a thing that most people that aren't very big on Antonio often tend to complain about the pacing. It is very much in the vein of slow cinema. I know that's more of a modern term these days for mm. a lot of things coming out, particularly from not in the U S. Um, but it's, it's always feels motivated. Everything feels like it's there for a reason, even if it might be something that you think is a mistake. It generally is intentional from Antonioni and usually is cinematographer. Um, but I think one of the things that I've been growing on in the film is I've sort of started to learn Italian is just kind of looking at the way the language is used and the different intonations and where they have words that may have more than one meaning in the way that they're translating it in the subtitles versus other subtexts that you may get more so from going into like what knowing the actual language is something I want to talk about a little bit later as we get into well, some of that stuff. Let me ask you quickly about that then, because I haven't seen it before. Um, was this translation different this time? Were there any specific differences you noticed? Um, any words? I mean, the, there's some still some subtitling goofs that I think just are QC errors. Um, but I think the one that stuck out to me the most is there's, there's a scene fairly early on um, where Jean Moreau's character, Lydia, is interacting with their their friend that's dying, Tommaso, and as she as the conversation goes on, I think she just gets more and more unable to to handle the fact that she's aware that he's going to die, mm-hmm. and I think he Tommaso is also very aware of this. And as she leaves, he grabs her hand and she clasps it back, and he says goodbye. But he uses a very informal word, word ciao, which also means hello, and it's very informal, it's very open, it's colloquial. And she responds back by saying, Arrivederci, which is goodbye. And her tone is very final and formal. I think they both know what they're saying, but are not mm. willing to acknowledge it directly. Yeah, that's and that's so something interesting that definitely won't come across in, in the just subtitles. subtitles yeah, yeah, what I remember from the subtitles in that scene is that she says specifically that she'll see him tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of read a similar thing in that, in that, like, you know, she obviously really does not want to confront the fact that this is clearly the last right. time that she's going to see him. That's interesting. Yeah, the tra- yeah the actual Italian is way better because it does give you that contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. You see mm-hmm. you later and goodbye. Yeah, very different. Uh, wow, that's cool. Uh, Sean, I'm gonna go to, to you because let's see, let's let's shake <laughs> it up. I a watched bit. a different fucking movie because I did not see a goddamn thing happen in this fucking thing. Um, this is yeah the um, the, the bane of everything uh, in my filmmaking world. Um, I, I had the exact same feeling I had watching Lost in Translation, um, which, hmm. you know. I, also I, a lovely movie. Yeah, I despise that movie as well. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I like, you know, a bunch of rich people fucking, fucking around on each other and I don't, just don't give a fuck. 
Did you, I mean, you appreciate it on a technical level, right? Oh, the cinematography was beautiful. Uh, all of the reflections and whatnot. Um, <laughs> uh, some of the lighting choices were a little questionable, but we'll get to that. Cool. Um, but yeah, uh, right. it looked good. Mm-hmm. It was just fucking boring as shit. I mean, huh. you know, we just watch people drive in a car and say nothing for fucking ever, man. Like that would just well, like so much of the movie. The, the problem with making a movie is something always has to happen. Yeah. Like nothing never happens in a movie, unfortunately. I would love for nothing to ever actually happen in a movie. I remember watching a movie like that in film school. I think it was called uh, Brick Wall. Um, it was like an hour of just as soon a as you film something, wall. though. Like, yeah, well, yeah, and it, maybe it's you that know, whole observer the skyscraper fucking, thing. Yeah, but then something still cat, like, like well, yeah. the time passage still occurs, so still something is happening. It's that kind of thing, like that. You are you are looking at someone's point of view, yeah. right? Of, of, depending on how you define objective versus subjective, Mm -hmm. but, but it's also think of nothing. I mean, you know, it's, it's quite arbitrary in that sense. Like, you know, just because yes, you can philosophically say that there's no such thing as nothing happening. That doesn't mean nothing didn't fucking happen. Well, <laughs> stuff happened in this. There was a plot. Some, some things Shut happened. <laughs> some things occurred. Donate to our Patreon. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Well, let, me give you, let me give you occurred. my quick review, I think. Because I think I'm kind of in the middle of, of Sean and the consensus opinion here. Uh, Diplomatic of you. I, I, maybe it is. I'm not, I kind of always end up like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I, I do believe- Wishy-washy some bit. I think I, I, it is slightly boring at parts, but I, I, liked, we agree. I liked a lot of moments. <laughs> there was a lot of great- symbolism I got out of it. I liked some of the really cool monologues even. I wasn't too bored. Uh, I think there was moments that could have been cut short. I think I mentioned like a few of them, but I like obviously during the movie, which I should have shut up, you know, but uh, I did, I did like this movie and there were some great acting performances. Both at leads were great. Um, I don't know. It, it had some good stuff. It was, it just kind of left me a little bit wanting more. It's full know. of acting mm. and words. And Yeah. I wanted, I just, I know I, I was like, oh, who's going to get shot? I know that sounds really like, yeah. you know, lame of me and, but I was, mm. I was thinking something, you know, my I thought someone was going to drown in that pool at some point. Yeah. I thought something dangerous would happen, but mm. it was, you know, it you know, doesn't have to, doesn't well, have to. Well, I think yeah. the scene with the, the crazy lady in the hospital is what kind of sets up that like expectation of something going to happen, which is well, like. We the, have the off screen death. Um, yeah. I know. What gives, <laughs> us, what um, gives us that expectation? I mean, what what in life gives us that expectation in general? That something's going to happen? Yeah. Just waking up, essentially. But I mean, like, as far as film structure is concerned, like, you go to a movie to to see something happen. So, like, when you hmm. get into this, like, this world that you're introduced to, it is kind of boring and mundane. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, there's some creepy chick that pulls him into a room, kind of wants to fuck him, but something weird happens. Then all of a sudden she gets slapped around. That's fucking weird. Okay, now we've set up something. Now we're going to go to just, like, two people having a weird relationship and fucking boring nothingness for, like, two more hours. What does it set up, it sets up the fact that that's it's, life. It's long and inherently boring. This isn't a movie that's about. Not what, that's why I go to the movies is to fucking get away from that. If I wanted to sit through long, boring shit, I would sit at home and sit escapism. through long, boring shit. Escapism is basically <laughs> your your idea of yeah. the film. More dinosaurs is what you're saying. Fuck yeah, give me Chris Pratt. Okay. It's an opinion. It's yeah, an opinion. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, it's perfectly it allowed. And it's I called ca- Fawcast, goddammit. Yeah. Fair <laughs> No, and I understand, yeah. Sean. I, I mean, you got to be entertained on some level. And if it's not entertaining you, it's not, uh, it's not doing it. Yeah. its job. You know, I get you. All right. Um, let's move on anyways, because uh, let's go back to kind of some of the historical context here, because- Philistines. I, yeah. Who, me? Yeah. I, I oh, didn't yeah, say that, anything. Oh, you did. You did. <laughs> 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 These guys make films. <laughs> what? 
Hmm? All right. Go ahead. I don't make films. Yeah, Anyways. yeah true. Um, so let's talk about the historical context. It was, uh, it's an interesting moment. I think it's, you know, it's Italy, 1961, uh, post-World War II, and they're just kind of getting Marshall Plan, Industrial Revolution kind of, you know, their economy is starting to get back online. Here's they're, my question. Go ahead. Uh, are they further from World War II than we are right now from 9-11? Anybody it, do that math? Yes. No, no, we're further. 61 we're further to, from yeah. 911 years. than they are. 45 to 61 and then okay. 2001 okay. to 19. Yeah, just we're a lot give, further. I, I just like that comparison because that's it's our frame of reference for our generation. It's a frame of reference for our generation. I mean, we're, I, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, a good, it's a good point. Well, we're further now from yeah. Back to the Future than Back to the Future was <laughs> 1955. Well, we're so used true. to watching <laughs> films that are absolutely in a world that is that is formed by what happened in the 40s formed right. by World War II and everything's a reaction to that. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that in this so much. No, I, I saw a real timelessness in this, really. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, um, okay. I don't know, but maybe I guess that's true in terms of the story, but maybe I'm just looking in terms of the style and the mm. uh, and like what like just literally the architecture, even the cars. Oh, oh yeah, with that, that kind of stuff. The you know even just the the, the relationships you know are very sixties. You know or early sixties. Uh, I don't know. It was very. Can you expound upon that a little bit? Yeah, it was like the marriage was kind of oh let's we're flirting with other people but we're not quite divorcing, you know what I mean? It's, and how it's, was that early 60s? Well, it's right before the sexual revolution, I believe, in, the, oh. in 1967, yeah. six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, so, I mean, the weird thing fair. is like, uh, you know, because I mean, this is, uh, this is what, 61? So it's a year after La Dolce Vita, which is Marcello doing essentially kind of a similar thing in which he's married and he's still like, you know, around and going around and doing all that stuff. So, I don't know if, like, I get that a lot in this, you know? Like, that kind of play, like, like marriage is kind of not a big thing anymore. I don't know. I think there's also, I think it's part of that is also, too, with you're dealing with the upper class. And I think there is a sense yeah, of privilege that kind of mm. comes with that and that ability to sort of be flirtatious, whether it has consequences, real or not. Yeah. And I think that's definitely a part of it. But that's also, I think, also coming off of this economic momentum that is being pumped into Europe through, as Joey mentioned, the Marshall Plan and other things. And Milan, where the city, where the film is set, was one of those cities majorly impacted and pushed for in that. And kind of going through that, the opening shots of the movie are very much dominated by the skyscraper, which yeah. is the only skyscraper in Milan at the time. It was built two years before they started the movie. So the, that skyscraper was, excuse me, it was erected in 1958. Mm-hmm. So that sort of view of the city is something that's unique to that time period. It's almost impossible. It doesn't never really existed before that. And that sort of view opening up through that was something of perspective that nobody had really seen before hmm. of their own city, yeah. specific reference to Milan. And also looking through the architecture of that of that's present in the film, other than some of the buildings that are look a little bit more bombed out and, and ruined, there's hardly anything in that film that was actually built prior to World War II. Mm. And Antonioni is always very, very specific about the locations he would choose to film in, even to the point where he would change train station signs, which he did multiple times in La Ventura to say, oh, it's this stop, because that would make sense on the line and people that knew the line that would be be there, but it really would be somewhere that has, oh, I want the ocean in this particular spot in this building here, because for Mm -hmm. the story Mm -hmm. and what I'm trying to say about landscape and relationship characters is 
what this location provides. So he's very meticulous about that kind of thing throughout his career. Yeah. I love that opening shot of the city. They're just lowering the camera down so slowly that it seems almost as though the building's rising up around the city. But uh, it's pretty. Yeah, it was pretty. Pretty. Party. It'll look pretty good. Donate to the Patreon. Donate to the... <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it's also like you, you see so much of that, that recent wealth coming through with the scenes of traffic jams and yeah. traffic wardens guarding through and the noise, this sort of cacophony mm. of the city that is always there from traffic to people shooting rockets off to airplanes overhead to that helicopter that flies through the hospital scene that like dips barely into frame and then kind of just goes away, but is mm-hmm. there just with this interrupting mm-hmm. presence of sound that is just something that is not used to, you know, people that were used to rural life or even to a, a smaller urban life. Mm. I also kind of saw this dichotomy when he had, uh, when he was offered the job, you know, mm. he was like offered, oh, should I be, you know, this creative writer or should I join the, you know, the mass corporation and just sell out and make my money? And, you know, that, the guy was making a very compelling argument. He was saying like, everyone wants money. Yeah, just drawing zeros on a yeah. paper absentmindedly. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, how much do you make? Just tell me. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, true. Don't I mean, you want to get away from your wife's money? Here, I'm going to keep drawing zeros until you say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else to, it's, as far as Antonioni's place in history here? Because I don't know much about Antonioni as far as his place as a director. Because um, this is one of his first films, I assume. Was this like a big breakout role of his? This is... Second big film, like, because La Ventura came before this, and that was his big, yeah. like, arrival film. Um, Paled as a change of the cinematic language. So it, how does it relate to Aventura? Is it, it says it's considered a central film of the trilogy, beginning with La Ventura? Um, I mean, well, Monica Vitti's both. Um, but, she's uh, in all three. What do you mean? Fine. She's fine. She's, uh, yeah. she's fine. They don't get it, Derek. They really and just they don't, don't get, get it. it. You, you'll watch more films with her, and then you'll get it. She's not anyway. Jean Moreau. That's all I'm saying. She's more than Jean Moreau. She's better. I mean, anyway, um, but uh, aside from that, I mean, I don't know. I guess you can see some similarities. Um, it's it's all about, to me at least in my opinion, is it's all about like these people and like the landscapes around them and basically putting them into these landscapes yeah, um, and establishing like a mood with that. Um, mm. But uh, they don't really have, there's no like story similarity really. Um, it was, yeah, it was something from the Washington yeah, Post. Ooh. Washington Post yeah. thing. Just making sure he's not cheating on me. Yeah, yeah no, mean, no, I'm not There's, there's no connective story trend like it's not star wars or harry potter <laughs> where there's like well and that's a very broad probably not really relevant examples but it, it's there's not like there are continuing characters that go from la ventura to la Nota to la Clis, other than monica viti being in all three of them so it's and, more like kevin smith than marvel sure <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> you know it's it's or, or the tarantino universe yeah. where everybody smokes red apple cigarettes yeah um but it's thematically, I think, print themes of isolation, characters unable to revolve around a landscape or to be able to connect on a human level. And also, I mean, modern architecture is a very big part mm-hmm. of all three of these films. I mean, architecture is a big part of almost all, any of Antonioni's films, going back very early to all the way up to the end of, of his films in the 80s. But mm-hmm. um I think the sort of change in, in temperament coming out of World War II with the economic boom that was going through Italy in the early 60s 
was a big part of that. And just sort of, I think it was almost an excuse for Antonio to sort of explore modern architecture in relation to humanity and the mm. way that it sort of changes or reshapes human behavior. So do you think Antonioni is trying to say that modern life is ruining uh, this, the, the man, the soul, the creativeness? No, I, I don't think he's trying to say that. Or I just, think that it's in a stark contrast. That's all. I don't know if even think it's a stark contrast. I think he's saying that the changes coming with the times are changing human behavior. And we need to find a way to, we being the humanity in general, but also the characters in his films, mm-hmm. need to find a way to deal with that to sort of recover their humanity in a loose sense, but also just to even just be able to kind of continue their existence, whether that means just simply accepting it and moving on or fighting against it and trying to change it back. Um, you know, you find this sort of conflicting bit of these sort of urban spaces versus places that yeah. are free of, are free of urbanity that uh-huh. have nature or trees or you know the ocean is a, is a popular one throughout a couple of his other films um but i think it's more about the way that things are being reshaped and exploring the nature of how modern architecture and modern you know think newer things and increased wealth are changing human behavior mm-hmm. rather than i don't think he ever really wants to provide an answer to any of these things i think he just simply wants to ask the questions yeah and speaking of changing human behavior, is the ending problematic in today's culture? Y- yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes, it, it is. I think it's problematic, and then I think it's culture. I think it's problematic if you look at it through this lens. I think what he was trying to say with it was like I don't know. It to me, it felt like to me their whole relationship felt like probably one of the most honest, uh, uh, like. Love. I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but like what I'm coming up with is like love deaths. You know what mm. I mean? Like that. Mm. That. It, yeah, the death the, of love is well, a no, the, thing. the 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 being of two people in a monument that they built together that neither of them care about anymore, but don't know how to leave. Mm. Um, right. You know, that's a really tough space to be in, and I feel like he uh, he really captured that really beautifully in this film, though. In a modern context, the ending was a little rapey. Donate yeah. to the Patreon. <laughs> yep. I think I think it's intentionally meant to be uncomfortable. Yes, yeah. and I, you know, and I think Antonioni kind of lets you sort of get away with it in a sense by that sort of getting wider and wider, and eventually just sort of dollying off of that mm-hmm. into the sort of manufactured landscape. Yes, it's a green space, but it's a golf course. It's designed. Yeah, right. It's right. designed for enjoyment, for pleasure, not for or not for any sort of you know, natural means, therefore, to serve human beings. Right. And I think it is meant to feel violating in a sense, and all that these people are left with, or at least that Marcello Mastriani's character, Giovanni, feels that he's left with is this this animal instinct to just Mm -hmm. force human connection physically and Mm -hmm. just having no other answer because he can't even recognize his own creative work or his own creative self anymore after she reads him this letter that he wrote to her, and he's just like, oh, well, who wrote that? She's like, you did. He's just yeah. can't yeah. respond yeah. to that yeah. anymore. I definitely felt that. I felt like men were reverting to their lizard brains and the women were becoming more creative and, and doing their thing. I, I kind of felt that a lot. Like they were making that point. There was a lot of obviously cages, you know, constantly all over the place, which was gorgeous. The way he kind of fit in just like different screens and filters and cages and men behind cages. It was just, it was pretty cool. I, I, and you definitely got the feeling that this is, this is an animal that can't control themselves. Yeah, I did think the uh, the girl's poem or whatever you want to call it on the real, the real was one of the 
stronger parts of the movie um as far as like that you know um i despise poetry in general but uh that moment no was actually pretty um you know pretty well done i agree no and i wanted to say that it was such a great callback to the literally the opening shot of what going down the you know mm. the elevator of the mm. dissonance of the music this creepy sound that she couldn't quite describe but it was so unpleasant to her and it was that you know, that moment in her speech, or no, sorry, speech or poem when she you know, was playing the recording. And it was so, and it was great because it was a callback to that moment because we all felt that as we were going through this modern world, hearing this dissonant sound. I thought that was awesome. So yeah, yeah mm. definitely an important moment. Um, so let's continue with those different characters because I really loved, I thought, okay, so I don't want to just start with her because VD was the stir, you know, the straw that stirs the drink here. But let's was she <laughs> kind of yeah I mean absolutely <laughs> all right fine Vidi was the, the main intro- straw okay. that stirred the drink right, but Jean the- Moreau was the drink okay let's not <sighs> talk, break it down to that let's talk about character <laughs> character wise <laughs> no I'm gonna die of myself <laughs> how her entrance and her exit so are like super dynamic okay, her entrance and her exit are like super dynamic for sure nobody can deny that right. Mm. They're fantastic. It's well done. It's well done. The exit, most of all. Yeah, I felt like this entire yeah. movie was designed for her silhouette shot at the end. Like, <laughs> it just felt like that was sort like of. their, their I, big I, payoff for just about I everything. I feel like it was she just really, really nice well chosen punctuation. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, so, and this is discussing Monica Vitti's character. We need to keep him. He's valuable. Okay, we'll pay you later. Uh, anyways, only if people donate to the yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Like, First, we're yeah. gonna buy Sean some books. Yeah, poetry <laughs> yeah. so so specifically, dumb. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Andrew, let's let's go to you for a second about characters. Like, uh, what did you think of uh, you know the main two characters, our, our man and wife here? You know, Giovanni and uh, Lydia. Um, I I bought very much the 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 presence that both Marcello Mastroianni and Jean Moreau brought to those characters. I think they were very believable in a couple that was once very much in love with each other and very much enjoying each other's company and you know all the other things that kind of go with that level of relationship and seeing them at the the kind of tethered ends of this relationship i i felt that was very believable and they were both strong enough and had enough depth in their characters and what they were bringing to it that they could split off from themselves and essentially turn sections of this movies into these solo performances that didn't require the mm-hmm. pair of them or an ensemble to Keep the film going. That's a good point. Yeah. They were strong mm-hmm. enough to yeah to sustain it on their own for sure. I, I would I, argue that. I also I, think that it's it it they they really well exemplified uh, the way that uh, the way that you know this is gonna. <sighs> this is gonna this is gonna like I don't want to speak so reductively because life is a spectrum, but. Uh, the way Uh-oh. that the Brace way yourself. that you know society's man deals with this feeling that they're both going through together, and the way that society's woman deals with this, uh, you know, he's very much uh, a statue around which a lot of things happen to him, and he and he lashes out at moments. He's a very passive character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And her melancholy, uh, uh, adversely, no, conversely, sorry. Uh, conversely, her, her melancholy is just electric in this. And I just loved that. I thought, you know, that was so alive to me in her performance. Um, electric melancholy. Yeah. That sounds like a, uh, oxymoron no. or like, uh, 
Uh, I mean, it, it just seems like a, such an, an opposition. I, I understand what you're saying and it, it makes sense in the context, but like just intellectually, those two words together seem to be very opposed to each other. I very much yeah, agree but but language. With, with you, Tim. Yeah. I, I think that she was like, just her, her sadness was, you know, pouring off her face. You know, you, yeah. could, you could see it in every shot, even when she was trying to smile and then like get through it in the party and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally bought this as a real nuanced marriage. I thought this was an extremely mm-hmm. complicated relationship with a lot of different nooks and crannies. I was really impressed with the three-dimensional just aspects of it, honestly. I bought that they were once in love and that they're now out of love. And now they're just, you know, going through this crazy shit together and he's getting famous and cheating on her all over the place. And, you know. Hmm. Is it cheating if she set it up? She didn't set the hospital up. I don't think up. she set all of them up. Uh, also, she... Did she set him? Okay. It, it can be argued. Okay. In ways, you know, okay. she kind of... I'm willing to hear, I mean, hear an argument. If it's an open relationship to begin with, I'm not sure where cheating starts. And I wouldn't say it is, but there is that really delicious scene in the end with all three of them in the room where yeah. it's just like, what is going on? Yeah. Mm. It was complicated, to it's say like, the least. <laughs> I mean, I think it's also important to note that, that Jean Moreau's Lydia is the driving force of the film. Like everything happens either by her simply going somewhere mm-hmm. or her decision or her change of mind, yeah. which is what eventually gets them to the party at the end of the shoot. She decides, no, let's go. We should just go mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to be here anymore. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, it's also so interesting that like the main, you know, probably the longest single person sequence of the film is her walking through the streets of Milan and... What's so interesting to me is that she's the one that goes and takes this walk that's willing to look other people, complete strangers in the face, even wait for them to look back, acknowledge that, and then just simply move on. Mm-hmm. Whereas Giovanni, Marcello Mastriani's character, is just at home going, where's my wife? Yeah. I guess I'll just go on the balcony. I'll go ask the neighbor. I won't, mm-hmm. you know. It, obviously, I mean, this is not a time where cell phones existed, where you could simply call or text or that sort of thing. So yeah. there is that to that. But... I think it's so interesting that Antonioni chose to have her be the force of that and the one driving and searching for answers and actually making an effort to do something and just letting him simply just exist at home and not be able to reconcile anything. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that a lot. I love those walkabouts that she had. I really love the moment where that she, that she uh, interrupted the fight. And she uh, and she stopped the fight, and, and all oh, the other fantastic. all the other guys were just watching, and you know, with bloodlust, you know, enjoying. It. And she was the only one to jump in. And as soon as she jumped in, the one guy who won the fight immediately came after her. You know, yeah, aggressively. Mm-hmm. Well, he tucked his shirt in first, yeah. gentlemen. He, he tucked did, the took, back of his shirt in, not the front. Still yeah. had his shirt open. It was yeah, quite a, a well, scene. How else is she going to see him glisten? It was a real style choice. Good point. Must and say. then he ended up behind those bars. I yep. did love the mm-hmm. sound of the fight. And by that I mean the lack thereof. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was. Yeah. That was. Yeah. I thought that's, that's that was going to be. A I thought that was a really interesting choice. Yeah, it was a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity. I wouldn't say it was a missed opportunity at all. I thought but, it was an interesting choice. You know what? That's fantastic because I would love to discuss that later on. It's a tease. Oh God! I did think <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> Donate to the Patreon. <laughs> I did yeah, think that segment was uh, visually interesting. Um, I'm not sure where I fall on the leisure, but the idea of them doing those like documentary style shots where they're like following her kind of live through the the real world like you could tell it was a very uncontrolled environment and like probably just her and a cameraman walking around live streets with no real control of anything 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I love those shots. I really yeah. did. And they, they, I, I like them, but they stood out a lot because they were very, very much different than everything else in this movie. Everything else in this movie was very, very tight and very controlled. And to see those shots to be so like just chaotic mm-hmm. was a little bit. I don't. I, I don't know. Well, if I it's think that was her perspective, wasn't it? Yeah, you know. I mean, it, it makes sense in the context, but like, it's very jarring to me. Okay. Uh, no, I, I, there was definitely some jarring shots. There was some moments I, we'll talk about later, you know, where they got really close. Yeah, yeah. But those were, I thought, I had, you know, motivation, purpose, and all that. Well, again, I'm a Philistine. I can't talk about this stuff. Just because you can justify shit doesn't mean it works. I mean, good point. That's a good point. Um, okay. Uh, any other comments about the acting or the characters? What you guys got anything else? I mean, you want to talk about, uh, you know, our main dude, Paul Manafort? <laughs> yeah, his well, eyes Manaf- are very far apart. Manafort, Manafort Bowie. Yeah. Well, also, <laughs> small nose. Could have had a bigger nose. You guys are gonna see a lot of him. He's good though. He, you he, guys are gonna see a whole lot of off. him. He, he was great. Yeah. I, I did really enjoy him. He was. I I saw him very much as the statue around which the movie occurred. Um, but, uh, he, he's a damn good statue. But when he had to express himself, he was good. Like when he had to jump, you know, he was aggressive with the first woman in the uh, hospital, you know? Yeah. So he, yeah. when he, no, what? I mean, y- y- aggressive, yes, but I don't know that it necessarily like was a wonderful performance from him. Like, like oh, okay. Tim said, I thought, you know, mostly it just happened around him. He had a couple moments where he did things, but I'm <laughs> not convinced that that was- okay. Yeah, and I would say that those moments weren't decisions, more so as like lashings out. Yeah, yeah no, I thought, I'm just saying his instinctual lashing out was really nice, the way he kind of transitioned in and out of it. Yeah, it was really, like, you know, it was an acting performance, so it was all a decision at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. I think that's good. That's yeah. But uh, yeah, good job to him. I, yeah. All right. Way to act. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Sean, uh, mm-hmm. let's get your game ready because because uh, then I want to play a game soon. So we're just getting it ready. No, play, we're not, we're, we're, no, play just, your fucking game. You fucking tease. Hello, are you all ready to guess the gross? Uh, today we're going to be discussing some movies that are. Um, I couldn't really find a topic. Like I was thinking, just movies Sean hates or like movies that fucking. But that's not really Googleable. Um, so I did uh, Lost in Translation type movies, and that is actually Googleable. So that came up with a decent list of things to work off of. I'm very interested to see <laughs> yeah, what's going to be interesting. What these movies are going to be. I feel like we're going to get a lot of Sofia Coppola movies on that. Probably, list. Yes. probably, <laughs> probably yes. Maybe some. Gondry. That could mm. work, yeah. I could see that. All right. Same time. So, gentlemen, everyone wants to be found. In 2003, directed by Sofia Coppola, we have Lost in Translation. Oh, it's very much like Lost in Translation, which is why it comes up on that Google list. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, this one stars Mr. Uh, Bill Murray and... Um, you said 2003? Uh, 2003, I believe. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, I fucking, wow. Uh, oh, man. I My uh, IMDB link that I put into my little spreadsheet brings me to a 2020 version of Lost in Translation. I was going a little quickly Are here. they really fucking remaking this? No, 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 no. This no, is that, a this, documentary. No, no, no. Okay, uh, okay, okay. What if the world never entered the Bible? That's uh, something to do with homosexuality, apparently. 
Kirk okay. Cameron? Um, Kirk Cameron? Yeah, Do you no, say the seem... word or the world? Uh, what if the word homosexuality never entered the uh, Bible? Okay. I thought, oh, what yeah. if the world never entered the yeah, Bible? I don't know. That's kind of I'm fairly confused uh, by that. Well, you know, you freaking talk about it. It'd be an interesting book. It would be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yes, uh, 2003's The Lost in Translation, Mr. Joseph Bonnier. I got $76 million. $76 million, says Joseph Bonnier, Mr. Tim Snow. I got 38 $38 million. Andrew, I'm going to go with a solid 55. $55 million in Mr. Derek. <laughs> 4.3 million. <laughs> $4.3 million, says Derek. I feel like someone um, Googled that before he gave an answer. No, no, no I just very specific. Real low. It's just for- um, calculating, computing, mathing. Uh, this one goes to Mr. Tim Snow. It came in at $44 million. That took math for you? I'm not that smart. That was thirty-eight million. I Everybody couldn't else- figure out which fucking James Coburn James Coburn was. Like, fuck you. <laughs> that was wonderful. That's fair. That is fair. That's fair. Classic moment. Donate to our Patreon <laughs> so that Sean can learn math. Truth we'll is. get him classes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Look closer. In 1999, Sam Mendes directed American Beauty. <laughs> This, uh, unfortunately, is not a movie that Sean hates. Sean does actually... Derek, of course he does. Derek, you made quite a face. Can I I please ask you about this? It's garbage. It's garbage. Rewatch it, guys. Kevin Spacey, Annette Benning, Thora Birch? Thora Birch, yes. Really? That's a thing? Chris Cooper? Mm -hmm. What was she in? She was in... Oh, she was in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. She was. For a quick scene on the bus. It was such an interesting thing. It was a wonderful movie. Please go see it, everybody. I loved that movie, yeah. It was interesting, yeah. Yeah, go see it. Uh, so this one, uh, gentlemen, we have American Beauty. Mr. Derek. I got $23 million. $23 million. Mr. Tim. Ten seventy five. Ten dollars 1075 What? That's the cost of one movie ticket. <laughs> 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 still too much. Still too much. Jesus, is That's that your actual guess? guess? No, one dollar no, no, fucking no, prices no, right no, in the no. shit. Well, uh, Derek, what was your guess? You can't do that. Can't okay, do that. sixty-one Jesus million dollars. Yeah, Never mind. Sixty-one million dollars. Yeah. I just Andrew can't do that. I'm gonna go <laughs> American Beauty. I'm gonna go with eighteen. Eighteen million dollars. Okie dokie. And Joseph Bonnier. A little high here, guys. I said eighty-three. Eighty-three million dollars. I thought it was a yeah. Joseph Bonnier's high ass takes it away because you guys have no fucking faith in this movie that everyone fucking saw and everyone fucking loved. It was a hundred and thirty uh, million goddamn dollars. Oh wait, wait, wait. Was this nineteen ninety nine? 99's American Beauty. Ah, that, uh, that's Clinton's America, guys. <laughs> we're in the green. They were going in there. They were going in there and they were coming out. And was like, what was the deal with that bag? That's stupid. That's actually the truth, probably. Hey, that, that, the bag was. Bag's pretty stupid. That's another podcast. That was the beauty. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> oh, also against the brick wall. I'm going to cry. It's a bag. No, the beauty was Spacey's brains all over the floor. That's yeah. a horrible. Rewatch it. That's why you got to rewatch it, guys. Yeah. Right? Spoilers, right? man. Rewatch oh, it. sorry. If you haven't <laughs> seen that fucking movie by now. Yeah, don't. <laughs> don't go watch it. Go watch don't The bother. Last Black Man in San Francisco and donate to our Patreon. Mm-hmm. Especially the Patreon A part. Spike Jones love story. Oh, in, yes. two th- in 2013, directed by Spike Jones, we have her. Hmm. So you said picture. 2013? Solid 2013, picture. yeah. We Man, have these her. are, are, these are hard. Yeah. Uh, this one stars Mr. Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Lynn Andrania. 
Lisa Renee Pitts, Gaby Gomez, Chris Pratt's in there. Yeah, Chris, Chris Pratt Paul. is in there. Amy Adams Chris and Scarlett Johansson. It's also yeah. still Fat Scarlett Pratt Johansson. at that point. Yeah, yeah it yeah, is. Fat yeah, Pratt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He was in Wanted too. Don't forget about that. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah he plays the he plays the like uh, the boy like the boyfriend of the guy's girlfriend in Wanted that she's sleeping with. Hmm. You know, she's sleeping with the other guy. Yeah, That's vaguely. Chris Pratt. I, that Brad. movie was so fucking terrible. It's I terrible. think I've tried to forget it's it. So bad. Yeah. Um, all right, gentlemen. Mind. How much did her make in 2013? Oh. Andrew, let's start with you. I'm gonna go with uh, 75 million. 75 million dollars. Uh, Derek, I'm gonna have to say. Um, well, for one, it's how much did she make in 2013? But it's uh, 26 million. <laughs> 26 million dollars. Correct the English. 26? You said $26 million? Yeah, I know. I know. I'm wow, like, yeah. I've been wrong so far. 81 was going to be my guess. Not trying to fuck Andrew over, and but Joseph 81. Bonnier. Mine's 68. $68 million. Uh, this one came in. Someone is really, really close. Uh, Mr. Derek Aport takes this one. It came in at $25.5 million. Wow. That's depressing. Yep. Um, these yeah. later If he's these not later pushing movies. a shopping cart into a building, oh, I don't want to watch it. Wow. Later art film, art, artish films. Gentlemen. Yeah, that's fair. Life is waiting. In 2004, Mr. Steven Spielberg directed The Terminal. I love this movie. <laughs> it's actually not too bad. I, I, uh, this I, I love Tom this Hanks movie. This is and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Stanley Tucci. Um, what year again? This is 2004. 2004, yeah. Mm. yeah. So a year after. It was a great year. So uh, we have Steven Spielberg directing The Terminal. Uh, Joseph Bonnier? I'm going to say 62. $62 million, says Joseph. I don't know what the hell uh, I'm doing with this one. Tim. $32 million. $32 million. Andrew? I'm going to go with uh, I'm gonna go with 115. 115. Fuck. Wow. Nice. We, got, we got the Tom Ooh. Hanks. We got the Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, We're they're all fighting the names. You do. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I was torn. You may be right. Economy-wise, also a safe bet. Derek. Yeah. I put fifty-six million. So fifty-six million dollars. We're all like fighting. Uh, that one is gonna go to Mr. Joseph Bonnier. The total came in at seventy-seven point eight million dollars. Wow. That's a fair chunk of change. That's that a good change. Especially for a bad movie. Yeah. For, yeah. for, yeah. for a, a film. Movie. For yeah. a film. Yeah, it was it's a, a great was, movie. Okay. I just don't understand the box office appeal to it. Yeah, yeah. It's a Sunday hangover movie. Like no, it was, it, I think it was really, a it's an afternooner for, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 All right, gentlemen. What? No, no, I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> Family isn't a word. It's a sentence. In 2001, Mr. Wes Anderson directed The Royal Tenenbaums. Great movie. That's a real piece of shit of a logline, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I fucking despise this movie. <laughs> it doesn't I fucking make despise sense. Wes Anderson. I love so. this movie. I, I love this movie. I love this movie, too. Yeah, you guys are fucked in the head. 2001, That's you true. said? Mm-hmm. Uh, 2001, Mr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Anderson okay. directed The Royal Tenenbaums. We have Mr. Gene Hackman, uh, Angelica Houston, Ben Stiller, Gwyneth Paltrow, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, Bill God, Murray, so many people, Danny though. Glover. Oh, so many people. Yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. Alec Baldwin. All right, we get it. Know. We get it. We get it. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. get to the guess. Please, his voice over Jesus though. Christ. Joey, since you're in such a fucking hurry, what did you guess? $47 million. $47 million. Mm. It's an art house. Mm. Mm. I got $27 million. 
Twenty-seven million dollars. Both went with sevens. Andrew, lucky number seven. Uh, I was going to go with twenty-five. Twenty-five Ooh. million dollars. And Tim Snow. I was going to rock in at thirty-three. Thirty-three million dollars. <laughs> All right. Look at that spread. <laughs> Taking this round and the game, Mister Joseph Bonnier at fifty-two million dollars for the so Royal Tenenbaums. Piss. Sweet. Excellent soundtrack. So the soundtrack to the Royal Tenenbaums was originally supposed to be all Elliot Smith, but he was too fucked up on dope and he just couldn't get it in. So they ended up repurposing a lot of like Charlie Brown music for it. And then they just ended up using Needle in the Hay for the uh, for the suicide song. Arguably the most iconic yeah. link in that movie. In some ways, right, less Elliot is more. Smith. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, I think that scene is insane. There's nothing that says this is just a podcast of like white dudes in their 30s than how much (laughs) we all love it. Yeah, do you guys want to go to Silver Lake after this? Maybe get some coffee? Totally, man. Christ. I hate Wes Anderson so goddamn much. Um, We're talking about Elliot Smith. Dude, goddamn Have some respect. It's all the same shit. Hipster bullshit. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a really angry text before calling. Uh, yeah, before after yeah, this. So tune in. Totally. Anywho, things that make Tim angry. Let's let's continue this trend because I'm about to do Glissando Corner. Yay. Yay. I'm going to go get a Woo! drink. Just keep going. Yeah, 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 this is what happens. They disrespect me and leave the, the table when I want to talk about sound. It's, it's okay. I'm cool with it. No one cares about sound. Yeah, I understand. Uh, So anyway, I thought the sound was pretty good. It was actually had a lot of amazing things in the sound design. It was pretty modern in many ways. That champagne cork was awesome. The the effects had some weird shit going on, (laughs) gotta be honest. But the music was interesting because there was no... Tried really hard. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to do Foley. Yeah, it's okay. I'm not great at Foley. I appreciated the effort. It was good. There we go. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Derek. Can we make that a button so it's easier? <laughs> it's, if it's going to be Foley, it's got to be fucking live. All right, talk about yeah. the hearing, Joey. Talk about how it sounded. Well, I, so speaking of the Foley and the effects, the helicopter was really good. It was a nice, simple effect. It symbolized kind of modernity coming over them in this beautiful kind of shot. And we kind of got the edge of the helicopter. I love that. Um, I think that there was a lot of great moments with the rocket sounds where we just had simple shots of her looking up and all over the place when she hears the rockets. And Sean clearly thought they were F-15s or something going on. What did you think? I thought they were jets of some kind. Yeah, that's fine. I think jets and rockets are close enough. Did they have jets back then? Sure. <laughs> jets got <laughs> rocket power in them? <laughs> yeah. We had them yeah, in World War II, man. <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> Fuck out of here. No way. I thought everything was... Yeah, no, the Red Baron. Red Tune Baron. the World TBC when I stop yelling at Sean about how great Elliot Smith is. We're going to talk about jets. <laughs> hey, when did jets come around? Um, something that did bother me along the lines of, fo- of effects was, was the Foley. The footsteps mm-hmm. were not good. The Clydesdale and the uh, fucking high heels? Footsteps were a little bit off sync. Uh, it wasn't horrible. It was just noticeable in mo- some moments. Uh, and, and some of the footsteps didn't change with the surfaces. So when a character would walk off a marble surface, it didn't quite change as well as it should. But again, I- I'm going to be forgiving of some of this stuff. I understand they're working with tape and only there so were many sound effects. a few and- things that were kind of off with the Foley. Now, I'm going to pose this question to Derek and uh, to Andrew, because you guys are more familiar mm. with, uh, mm. with Antonioni's mm. like, body of work mm. and his style. Do you think that like, those moments where, like, say her footsteps were a little off, or say, uh, especially in the moment when they uh, uncorked that champagne bottle and it was just sort of off. Do you think mm-hmm. that was intentional? And if so, what do you think he was saying with that? I personally don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's intentional. I, no. I think it's Ooh, characteristic. <laughs> I think it's yeah. characteristic of 
sound in Italian films of that era because mm-hmm. 99% of the films made in Italy at that time were dubbed entirely. No respect for Even the actors would, you know, Marcello Mastroianni would dub himself. Obviously, it's an, an Italian double for Jean Moreau, who's not an Italian, doesn't speak Italian, mm. or at least maybe didn't speak enough yeah. to be. Well, the spaghetti westerns, no one was speaking the same fucking language on yeah, set I mean, at all. It, like, it's also, well, it's also, I mean, if you look back at a lot of Fellini films, a lot of times he was still writing the dialogue as mm. they were filming the scene. So he would just tell them to count. So <laughs> you can just look and you can just see them going, uno, due, tre, cuatro, cinque, seis, sette, otro. And, they just, and then they just dub in the dialogue later. <laughs> so if you really watch yeah. the lip sync in a lot of Italian films, you can see that it's kind of all over the map, just simply by the nature of their style of production. I don't necessarily think it was a complete disregard for sound. I think it was more of a speed of production requirement, a limited access to film stock, and just trying to make sure everything happened and going through, and then really yeah. knowing that they could simply just put it in later yeah. with whatever they wanted, or if they found something that didn't work, that was an easy way for them to change it without the cost of having to go fully back into production. Yeah. This movie's like two hours-ish, and he shot under what he says he shot 140,000 feet, which is actually not that much yeah. i don't think for that it's not that length so i, th- I don't have my calculator on hand yet i'm pretty sure it's not that much for that i thought about this a lot when he was doing a lot of these complicated shots and these complicated amazingly cool blocking and like you know getting the act- actors to be exactly on their marks i thought about this i'm like if i was a sound guy it's got to be tough to do this without you know audible cues and he's got to be talking kind of over you know, whatever sound That's there is. certainly and, a benefit to and, not rolling yeah, sound on exactly. Set. And I can see that that was definitely a benefit to doing all this MOS and be like, okay, we can get these amazingly complicated, beautiful shots going on and not have to worry about the dialogue, we can kind of deal with it as, a, as an afterthought. And I get it. And that's fine. I, that's and I think it especially works for an international audience. But if this was, if I was a native Italian speaker, yeah. I think it would bug the fuck out of me. Like if I, if this was an, Eng, an American or an English movie done that way, and I could literally see their lips and I'm counting one, two, three, four, I'd be fucking pissed. But like, I always because it's in a different that experience almost. Cause like I spend so much time reading the subtitles mm. um, that, uh, you know, I just wonder what it, what it would feel like to have that dissonant sort of mm. like uh, effect and also still be able to understand what they're saying and, and be completely glued to the image. Mm. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I mean, oh, again, this right. is, this is an assumption, but I'm going to, I feel like it's a bit of an educated assumption, but I don't think that would be that bothersome to Italian audiences that were used to seeing that day in and day out. And well, yeah, I mean, that it, was the style of the time, right? But it still is. The thing is yeah. you going over to a regular multiplex in Italy, mm-hmm. even watching, you know, I had, a, I had a friend last time I was there that went to go see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom because it had just come out and he really, really wanted to see it. And I was like, you're going to be back home in a week. You could just go see it. And he's like, no, I, I got to see it now. I'm like, and I'm like, well, was it dubbed? Was it? And he's like, yeah, it's all dubbed over. So th- there's, there is not a love of subtitles yeah. in Italy. There are places, if you go to usually to Cinematex or places that are more about the sort of purest film experiences, they will usually provide films in their original language and subtitle them in Italian. Um, but more often than not, almost everything that comes over from the U.S., from elsewhere in Europe, from Asia, from Middle East, Africa, et cetera, it's all going to get dubbed. Mm-hmm. So that, that tradition still continues in Italy. Obviously, things have gotten better technology-wise, that there is much more live sound recorded, and the, you know, the Foley and all the stuff like that have modernized considerably from 1960, 1961. But the tradition of dubbing films and just making sure everyone is hearing in their native language, per se, reading is still very prevalent throughout Italy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I see it a lot because I teach a lot of students from all over the world, and and there's definitely a lot a love of dubbing in other countries. My Brazilian students tell me that the guy who plays Schwarzenegger, who dubbed Schwarzenegger, is more famous than yeah. Schwarzenegger. Like everyone loves him. He just is a celebrity just mm. for doing his voice. It's kind of badass yeah. in some ways. That's cool. Anyways, the Hank Azaria so of I, Brazil. Yeah, Derek. Yeah, I got actually a ratio for that. So that's uh that's a one to thirteen ratio. Oh, basically. that's actually. Fairly. Which is fairly decent. Uh, I, I mean, mean, that's that's a little that's sizable for film. I yeah, mean, for true. for a narrative film. How many feet film. did you say they shot? They they shot forty thousand feet. Yeah, hundred forty thousand feet. Yeah. So it comes out to about twenty six hours ish. So hours. For, yeah, yeah. For the uninitiated, that's thirteen hours of film for every hour that makes it on screen, or thirteen minutes of film for every minute that makes it on screen. Yeah. Either way, that's that is a fairly hefty shooting ratio for a narrative. Like mm -hmm. we used to talk about documentaries being in like the you know anywhere from ten to one to fifty to one, or like fucking uh, Pendulette did that. Um, that uh, oh shit, what the what was the name of that one? Uh, Tim's Vermeer. There was like two thousand to one because he had like five cameras on every brush stroke so i mean you know just the more footage you have obviously the more exponentially daunting it becomes but yeah that is i mean definitely doesn't seem like a low budget right. move it's at 13 a, to yeah, 1 no. he was big after that first movie though so he could probably we're under there's, attack Sorry. there's yeah there's lots of fireworks because also mexico won in penalties oh. yeah so, that interruption ooh. wasn't me punching we're the very, microphone <laughs> <laughs> we're very yeah, excited around it's also fourth of july weekend or the weekend that, before fourth of yeah july, that's so. true too. people are always blowing shit up around that's here very though. true too. but also the woo earlier mm. if you caught that was because mexico won hopefully the noise oh, gate kept penalties. Oh, Raza, man cool mm -hmm. cool that's, wow dude all right, so uh, this has been a great sound corner. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to help transition out of it. Can I, can I at least continue talking a little bit? So, so the music, I don't know how to do it. The music, uh, I love it. to the Patreon. Thanks. Anyways. That's uh, harsh. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but like also, Andrew, like, fuck Joey. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> feel slightly uncomfortable right now. That's fair. That's good. I, I, that's a good feeling. I feel uncomfortable too. So it's <laughs> if it makes you feel better, those two do not like singing in the rain. That movie sucks. Sucks. Yeah. He likes it, but I like it. I think it's yeah. overrated. But no, it's there we possibly go. overrated. It's also not an accurate depiction of how sound came into movies. Mm. Mm. It's a fun depiction, though. It is fun. I will give you that. It's it is definitely fun. fun. It's fun. Yeah. Less people fun. hanging themselves. So the let's talk about that for a second, guys, because it's an interesting aspect here. And I wanted to talk about it using sound in terms of the realistic terms or in impressionistic terms, because the way they use the music was pretty damn cool with this. And Sean noticed this when the music changed, when we went from her perspective, when, when um, I'm sorry, the wife, I forget her name, Lydia, was looking down the stairs at Vidi's character. And the music immediately went down. And you noticed, you were like, wait, oh, it, there's no sound in the hallway? Yeah, she found a real quiet corner that is like within sight. <laughs> and I thought this was cool. It was, it was an interesting play. I, I mean, at first I thought this was a mistake possibly, but they did it again mm. when um, when she saw the man, mystery man, you know, Mr. Big. I've, you know, whatever his it, name Roberto. is. Sorry, yeah, Roberto. It felt totally intentional. just felt overly <laughs> done. So like the difference, yeah. be, like just seeing that she's like you know, literally like eight feet away from her and the amount of music that you hear eight feet around the corner versus, you know, well, being in the other place is a little off. 
I agree, but I think it was impressionistic. I yeah. think it's a fine to do mm-hmm. a subjective sound kind of thing like that. It's 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 ambitious. And I, at first I didn't think it worked, but it did. A little more reverb and EQ might have made yeah. it a little bit fit a little bit better. And no, this but is the kind idea of, of her being isolated in, in her own little corner reading right. the book, that definitely worked. I liked it's that the music well, kind I mean, of Part of impressionism is seeing the brush strokes. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Yeah. I feel like you're just making shit up. I really no. not. No, he's <laughs> right. Monet, for instance. It's a great point. He's true. You'd like seeing the, you know, the art of it. That's I, yeah. part of impression. Monet or Monet. I'm not talking to my ass. No, I think you're a great point. And I think that, and I kind of felt that during this. So there was a lot of moments where I was like, this is a movie. But I didn't, I didn't hate it. I wasn't pulled out of it, even though I was like, this is really great movie making. And I, some of these great shots, the bird's eye views, the crazy <laughs> angles really did make me feel that way. Um, I loved the way they kind of used the background sound actually to go back and forth between these really adverse neighborhoods and shots, you know, the, the outdoors of the city and then the absolute silence and awkwardness when he's flirting with one of these women, you know, at the party. I thought that was really amazing. The way they used the walla was fantastic. When, when he went from, when they went from outside onto the street into the book signing, it was just the, the, the complete difference of now he has to be the, that guy, you know, the the hero, the the novelist, the I don't know, the cool guy. I don't know, it was very interesting the way he had to kind of switch on and off, and, and the and the background sound kind of mimicked him some ways, and then the music kind of mimicked her. In many mm-hmm. ways. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think in all of these occasions, there was a great choice between using realistic sound and impressionistic sound, and they always chose impressionistic. And again, really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm sorry. I talked too much again. No, no, um, no, it's fine. Keep going. What did you guys think of the music in terms of, especially that scene where we had the two dancers? Uh, it's obviously all this music is jazz. This is this is also not just any jazz. This is 1957 cool jazz based on blues. It's all 12 bar blues. It was all easy like, listening. That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It's the only way you say it. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, I don't know. What, what did you guys think of that in terms of, was there any symbolism there? What, am I just kind of overthinking? No, I don't, I don't think you're overthinking at all. I think the choice to stick with a purely modern musical form to a movie that is so much about the relationship of the modern world to the human world, I think fits so much of what Antonioni is trying to bring about questions of throughout this movie. And I think he uses those sort of 12-bar blues like you were talking about as well through all those scenes where they would realistically fit in, such as the the jazz bar that they or the nightclub that they go to, and then yeah. the, the you know the the quartet at the or the, the trio, the trio or quartet. I forget actually. I think it was well either way. The, in the quartet at the party, and I think what's also so interesting is that if you look at the music that is over the opening, the film is this sort of dissonant or disconnected bits of sort of almost these sort of space age sort of sounds mm-hmm. over this sort of aerial view of the city that's uh, you can see the certain burgeoning modernity of architecture and city and trains and streetcars and traffic and th- nothing ever seems to kind of connect or have any sort of harmony i thought that was such an interesting way to sort of go from this sort of thing that is so broken to mm-hmm. these sort of interconnected chordal structures that make up jazz well even then it's still jazz is such a free musical form of expression yeah, like it, it was interesting. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that maybe he was trying to say, I don't know what he was all trying to say, but the, all of the moments where we had the smooth jazz and the smooth blues to was, me, oh, go ahead. I was, it, just to me, it felt like a 
I was thinking more just along the lines of the post-war Americanization of everything. For sure. So that just, you know, gooey peanut butter that we spread over everything, you know, as we left our trail, wherever we kind of walk through. And so, you know, that is like our permanent stain on that culture or, you know, um, I guess stain has a specific connotation, but you can also stain wood and that can be a good thing. So fuck you. <laughs> I think it's, it's very true. And nice safe. <laughs> Especially because those countries, Italy, France, they all had colonies. You know, they all had literally empires. I mean, America did too. But they had, especially in Europe, I mean, sorry, in Europe, especially Does in Africa, too. you know, Italy had Ethiopia. That was their deal. They owned Ethiopia. And- I, I think that I'm curious, Tim, what you thought of that scene, because there was definitely that racial aspect of the music, you know, when they had the two dancers there. Did you think that, um, I don't know, was it, it made me slightly uncomfortable, but because, because it felt like, you know, white people just watching black people, like, animal like, house, like a man. minstrel show it type was, of thing. Well, but it, what, what do you think it was trying to say? I guess. So, asking. uh, <sighs> If you're, if you're going to ask me that in, in this context, <laughs> then my feeling about it would be much different. I, uh, I suppose, have, like, I guess it's because we've watched so many films from eras before this that they, they all, they're all in this aspect. They're all garbage because it's all this very white perspective and it's yeah. this, you know, this understanding of a status quo that they don't expect to change. Um, but, uh, in that scene, I mean, honestly, I was just spellbound by the performance. The dance was amazing. Yeah. The, the wine glass juggling was, yeah. 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 Just the physicality of their performance was just amazing. Definitely one of the most interesting scenes. And it's, it's just, it's terribly unfortunate in a documentary aspect that the only thing that a black person in that era could bring to a film such as that is physicality. And entertainment for white people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a damn shame. Um, I, I actually don't know on this one. I'm curious, Andrew, do you have any other thoughts? Because I, like, I was kind of like reaching here. I was like, what is Antonio trying to say? Because there was a lot of shots just on the dancing. Like we spent a good 10 minutes. I got to be honest, you know. Yeah, it, it, is a, it is a substantial sequence in the film. And I think it's something that's meant to both excite to a certain extent titillate. But I also think it's meant to start to make you question why you're watching it for so long. I think the more we're looking at it from a modern perspective and not something that was made at the time, Mm -hmm. I think when it was made at the time, I think it is much more about the expression of exoticism. And I think if you look at other nightclub scenes from Fellini films or other stuff like that, where you're looking at an excess of Asian cultures just generally lumped together as exotic and oriental and distant. Mm -hmm. And this being part of that is this sort of exciting thing that you don't see normally. It's something from afar. And I think that is very much playing into a level of white privilege that I think we're much more aware of and always willing to call out now because we're, we're seeing this so much more and looking back on it doesn't necessarily justify, well, it doesn't justify it, nor does it make it right I'm not 100% sure if it makes it wrong in the context of when the film was made as far as the scene. Does it have a specific point from Antonioni? I can't say off the top of my head. I don't know. I don't know. Derek, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I don't know. I mean, what was his background in terms of that? Or is there anything at all? I don't, yeah, I don't know anything about like, Yeah, because he seemed more of an artist than an activist. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, so I have a quote here about, hey. of what this film is about to him. Hey, hey. 
Let's do so it. So maybe this is shed some light. Yeah, yeah shed shed a little light. Do tell. Um, so this is actually uh, before before it had like aired. He was talking about it. Uh, could you talk about it? The guy asked, "Could you talk to us about Lenote?" He says, "Well, Lenote, I tried to carry on the same discourse as in Eleventura." We are fooling ourselves if we think that all we have to do is know all about ourselves, analyze the farthest reaches of our souls. That is at most a beginning. It is certainly not everything. In the best cases, you achieve a kind of mutual compassion, but you have to go beyond that. The characters of Lenote get to that point, but don't manage to get beyond it. They are characters of today, not of tomorrow. That's so. great. Can I see that? Yeah. Hmm. I, I you think- don't believe him? What? I, uh, I'm a better reader than I am a listener. Yeah. I'm uh, what yeah, you'd yeah. call a visual learner. Interesting. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, they're, and I mean, it was, maybe I'm paraphrasing too much. They're victims of their time, you know? Yeah. And I, mean, mm. I think they're also, I mean, they're, I think, probably among the most problematic of scenes from Antonioni's body of work is the scene from Laclise that puts Monica Vitti and, and her friend that she's visiting in full body blackface. Yeah. Doing a sort yeah. of mock tribal dance. And it, right. something looking at the film, now or it's just it's incredibly uncomfortable to watch and it pulls you out of the movie so completely because it just feels so out of character with what we're dealing with today as a society and i mean it's not something that not we're dealing with just now we've been dealing with for a long period of time it's just mm-hmm. is now on the forefront of everybody's thoughts and it's yeah. much more of a thing that comes up in conversation more for lack of a better term but right i, I think there, you're also looking at a time period where that was seemingly thought as okay. Again, that mm-hmm. doesn't justify right. it. That right. definitely doesn't make it right. Sure. right. But well, it, I kept flipping between two different movies when I was watching that scene. The first I already mentioned being Animal House. The other one is Django Unchained. So there's the scene in Django where they where Leo forces one slave to fight another slave basically to the death and then rewards him. And then obviously the Animal House scene where they go to the bar and see the performance. They, Otis Day and the Nights. Otis Day and the Nights, yeah. Uh, um, that is... I, both of those movies, I think, showed like very similar scenes, but for very different contexts. And I'm not sure which one I, this one was. I think that's astute, actually, Sean, because I, I, I think they're all kind of tied into, uh, and I'm sorry to boil this down, but like a boys club mentality yeah. of mm-hmm. this is how men can mm-hmm. take advantage of a situation. And it was a theme throughout, you know, with the horse racing and, and the fighting and all the different things that men do. You know? I think with the scene in this, though, it's more about him still kind of being attracted by the woman is sure, the but, main but I think that's going to a club that's and part of it it's bored. going to a club and in, in, in a, in a, in a man's view of, you know yeah enjoying the, the, a strip a, a burlesque show well yeah as mm-hmm. far as his relation in there like at that point I was already under the impression that his wife was trying to you know get him to either you know have some outside relations or just kind of like go enjoy things and I got the impression that he was like almost feigning interest in the female for the sake of his wife in that like you know he wasn't really that interested in what was going on but he was like yeah I guess she's pretty hot but you know that's I, I don't know I just felt like a weird disconnect connect there where it it didn't seem um like either it was a bad performance or it just didn't seem No, true. I think that's him. I think he's yeah. he's a passive guy. That's his character. And I think in the any other situations too he was kind of just going along for the ride. You know, yeah. even I, even with the, I guess I don't have so I don't have a very good view of him in general in this movie. Yeah. Like even by the end I feel like he's reconciling with her uh for his own like personal motives. Sure. Just because because he turns down that job, 
she's the one who's providing the money and his freedom, so to speak, to be a writer and all that kind of stuff, essentially. And so I feel that he's like, he's like reconciling with her for his own personal purposes. And so I, I think that I was the whole ever... point of the job offer, though. I think the reason that the job offer is in the movie is to give that character an out, so that he doesn't. Yeah, and have he to. doesn't do it. He well, he would rather he would rather stick it through this and still have that air of freedom, so to speak, of being a writer and everything, than being that corporate guy. Because it's even the cage bird, either way. Yeah, but yeah. It's a cage bird, either way. But he prefers this cage yeah. kind of thing. Well, like, yeah, the devil, you know, better than the yeah, devil. yeah. exactly. Yeah, I, I think there is a, there is inher- an inherent selfishness to Mastriani's character in this mm. film. I think mm. I think you're absolutely spot on, Derek, where you say that like his forcing of a connection, of a physical connection, especially, is very much to make himself feel something to make himself connect, which is, you know, it's part of why that scene starts to feel so uncomfortable because he's saying, no, no, and he's just quiet, be quiet. We're, you know, we need yeah. to do this. We need to do this. And I think it's him again, being unable to say, no, I need to do this. I want to do this. This is for me. And so much of that film, he's always kind of dismissing his own desires out of this sort of missed place, like sort of sense of self-deprecation mm-hmm. and just being unable to act on that because he feels that, if he acts on that, then he's debasing himself to an extent, but he's also then acknowledging that there's a part of himself that he maybe doesn't like. Yeah, I think it, it's part of him as a writer, for sure. He's, yeah. He likes being, and he mentioned it, he likes being that guy who's observing, who's doing research, as he says, you know, on, on the human condition rather than experiencing it himself. Yeah, and in reality, he's just a toddler near an open window. Yeah, because he... he... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Give it to him. He's yeah. been... he's. Yeah. yeah. He saved it up, but good job. Because, yeah, like as soon as she's gone, he, he's like just doping around and looking for where like his wife is or whatever. And like, so, so I feel like once you think about that, then you're like, okay, this whole scene where he's watching this woman, he's trying not to get caught, so to speak. And I feel like she is, in a way, she may be like, you guys may, may think totally different about this, that Probably. she's just like saying like, oh yeah, it's totally free. Like, you you, you know, you can go be with a, whatever woman. She, I don't think she's saying that. I don't either. I think she's giving him that chance to do that, but she's going to leave him if that happens. It's a test. She's going to move on. Agreed. It's, a, it's I, just I, totally. I, think, I, think I didn't so. think it was so much of a test as a um, passing off, like a, a hand-me-down almost. Like she didn't want to just leave him high and dry because she knew that he is, you know, almost dependent upon her for everything. And, you know, the- Was the, that one a firework? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, we'll never know. Until <laughs> the sirens arrive. But yeah, I just thought that, it, to me, it felt like more that she was trying to pawn him off on someone else rather than trying to test him. Like she knew where he stood. I think she had already made, made up yeah. her you mind mean, You ago. mean about with Monica Vitti? I just mean or do in general. You mean also I think with she the would, dancer. I think she was ready to go from the beginning, and she was just trying to find okay. a place to stick him. I think I he's think talking she, about Jean Moreau, though. Yeah, he's not talking about Monica Vitti. Yeah. I don't Moreau. know who any of these fucking okay, people. Jean are. Moreau yeah. is the one you're the talking wife. about. The wife, sure. <laughs> the wife, the wife. Yes, yes, absolutely. She's talking, looking for. She's looking for an out. She's yeah. looking to be left so she doesn't have to leave. Oh, I think. Yeah. By the time we even start, which is a very common thing for a human to do in that position, which is you know part of what makes this film so. True. I think I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if she's necessarily looking for an out. I think she's 
looking for an answer. I think she, I don't, you know, whether or not she's made you decide to leave, I think, you know, you're important, Derek, but that, you know, that she'll give him that option. And if he takes it, then yes, there's the answer that she's looking for. Maybe not an answer, but like a resolution in any way or shape. She doesn't like the situation that they're currently in. I think she wants anything different. different So this is kind of how I viewed the ending and you guys can help me out if I'm wrong here. But when she finally said at the last words, say it, to him, I thought she wanted him to say, "I love I you." I don't love you. Oh, yeah. she, yeah. she wants to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Say I don't." She was love asking him to say it. At least come to some sort of yeah. conclusion. You know, say it or don't say it. No, no, I think she specifically wanted him to say that she that he did not love her. Well, that's clear because she afterwards said, "I don't love you either." But yeah. I think I don't know. At that moment, I was. So I wasn't, well, you got to finish sure. him off. <laughs> Two to that. So, was that double rule number tap. one? The double yep. tap? We missed the bleed out. Yeah, yeah, there was a monologue in there. <laughs> <laughs> the first one was in the kneecap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See now that's a movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you really gotta you gotta up the bang in, in post so people know what the fuck we're talking about. Mm. Either way, Joe, what you were saying. Well, I, I'm going to be done with my sound. Let's move on to the next thing, if you guys are cool with that. Let's move on to- Were Ke- we still talking about the sound? No, we were not. <laughs> <laughs> I, let it, I, I thought it was a great conversation, so, you know. It was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Ill-timed. <laughs> Aren't they all? Anywho. Ill-timed. Where's, me, the, where's the, uh, the, the Congress lady? Give me the Congress lady. Oh, oh that's oh, a good idea. Reclaiming my time. Okay. That's my favorite my button, time. Andrew. Reclaim in my time. Could you please explain the rules and do not take that away from my time? The time belongs to the gentle lady from California. <laughs> yeah, the best is how it's just so long. Unbearable. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's cast it today, guys. Let's think about the oh, uh, the actors today who George Clooney. The crazy lady in the hospital, I want Aubrey Plaza. Solid. Okay. Jonah Hill as Master. Marcelo. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Skinny Jonah Hill or Fast Skinny, Skinny, Skinny Jonah, Jonah, Jonah Hill. Yeah. Yeah. He's less it. funny. He can do it. Yeah. I don't know. Jonah Does he have the range? I don't think so, dude. Mm. I mean, I think he's a good actor. He's okay. He's Jonah, like, you're a great like a, actor. He's too comedic. Don't listen to these people. Bleach blonde tattooed Jonah Hill. Now, who's the dude from Drive? <laughs> It's more of a oh, like, oh, Gosling? Gosling. Yeah, it's more of a Gosling. No, you know, I really pretty boy where it just uh, all just happens I, around him. No. I guess, but like he doesn't have that sort of like Gosling doesn't have the presence necessarily. No, he doesn't. Have a good he doesn't yeah, you need a charm. You need, yeah. to, you need yeah. a Casanova. Yeah, yeah. 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 like in Drive, you're like, but what's wrong with you? Need exactly. like, yeah. He's you would just be like this, yeah. and you'd be like, I say George Clooney for everything. I mean, it's not a bad bet. A Clooney would be fine here. Yeah, we could use a Clooney too. I mean, Mrs. Clooney too. I'm going to put out there, I don't think we ever need to remake this movie. No, 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 nothing ever needs to get remade. But playing playing the game here, I think. If if we can get a Brad Pitt performance that we got out of By the Sea, mm. I think that would be a good choice. I never saw hmm. By the Sea. Is that with or without I never cereal? Saw By the sea. Sometimes that silence was the best thing. Yeah, that's just, 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 just highlight of the episode. Yeah, it's probably yeah. a reference from a 1985 commercial. I mean, to basically. be to be fair, most of the reviews of By the Sea were off, were comparing it regularly to La Note. Really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Oh, so. Interesting. So, which I, mean, I think is yeah. it's not hundred percent merited. I haven't seen by the sea. I'd like to now. Yeah, I think it's it's worth a watch. It's yeah. it is it again, it's very much in that vein of slow cinema. It is emotionally devastating as mm-hmm. you're watching mm-hmm. characters' relationship fall apart. So the, the the surface level similarities are definitely there. I mm-hmm. think there's more to both of these movies that I don't think warrants the quick justification of a comparison, but I think that level of performance from someone like Brad Pitt who has that sort of 
you know, sort of beautiful Carlos persona Tom. strat. Yeah. yeah. And that sort of, and I, don't, I don't know, there's really no one that's really ever been like Mastriani. I guess the closest I can maybe think of would be Antonio Banderas from like 10, 15 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm. But, oh, could be. fair. But, could be. you know, but I yeah, mean, like Mariachi era. No, mm-hmm. I think more like mid-range Amodovar, you know, kind of around like the Matador mm-hmm. and, okay, and, okay. and that range. Mm. Uh, I feel like I, I want him and Diane Lane as the two. I, like I do that. like Diane Lane. I would yeah. like a Diane Lane as, yeah. as Lydia. Lane, yeah. I see her in that. Yeah. You know, she's got to be portray that kind of sadness underneath, yeah. but, you know, but also be extremely sexy. She, she Marissa Tomei? I think she Marissa no, Tomei. Marissa no, Tomei's no, no, no. in every movie. I don't movie. see the range yeah. in it. Uh, honestly, like yeah. I, I, I think Marissa Tomei is fine. You know, I'm glad she's making money. Yeah. But like, meh. yeah. Okay. Anyone else for uh, Lydia? What about let's let's try to cast? I know Derek. We can't replace her. No, we can't. <laughs> but no. Is there anyone? No. Who, no. Scarlett Johansson. No, we can't. No. Yeah. No. 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 Okay. no. What? No, you got no. to Derek. Oh, really? no, I will end this game. <laughs> I will end you all. I will end this podcast. She's so okay. That's yeah, the dude. thing. Oh. I just don't you yeah. get it okay. with her. Okay, hang on. Uh, what so is the, what's what the done? draw? So, Explain okay. it to me. All right. So you have to watch also, more. You have to watch Johansson for yeah. her. I don't yeah. understand. No. Fucking sure. Vicky Christina Barcelona or whatever. Sure. I don't. I don't get. Yeah, I don't get. Scarlett Johansson. What? I don't get that, but but yeah. no, she's but, just okay. It's like yeah, a thing yeah. to look at. Oh, no. Also, she's <laughs> probably got a wonderful personality, and like I bet she's really smart. Her to, to Monica Vitti, really? <laughs> what? Really? Okay. Yeah, well, they're both okay. okay. Hey, so fine. you need to see more more movies from Monica Vitti. It's okay. I'm it's sure okay. It's just happen. coming from a place yeah. of ignorance. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. You're okay. You're okay. You're gonna get Patreon. You can. Like afford to hear me learn about Monica Vitti. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, won't be able to continue the series podcast about the Patreon. Monica Vitti. Yeah. I, don't know, I mean, if I were to if I were to venture a name forward, I think Kristen Stewart might be an interesting choice for that. Hmm. I, I like that, that I, actually. I actually like that too. The, the, oh, the, 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 the podcast. I yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, because they're both just kind of there. No, 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 no. I think the thing about Vidi, I will say, is her eyes. Her eyes are very expressive, you know, and she's got this kind of these deep set eyes. I can kind of see Kristen Stewart with that kind of. I'll give I'll give you that. that I'll give you that. She does have very expressive eyes. Yes. You know, not that I've seen all the Twilight movies or anything. We'll we'll come back to this one day later when when we've watched more Monica Vidi films and then you guys can. Damn. I'm looking forward to it. Changed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love and Cherry, even. Like, yeah, sure. She's a, when she's a blonde. Was you that pre 1960? Are... Love and Cherry? No. Love, no Love and Cherry is 1960. 1960. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so eventually we'll well, get there. Yeah. One not, day. Not now. But Before then. we're dead. <laughs> sure. Yes. Yeah, Maybe. If you donate. <laughs> If somebody, so, <laughs> if like if some we get to a thousand dollars in donations, yeah. we'll break sixty. Yeah, 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 exactly. We just broke sixty today. Yeah, sixty-one. Well, but this is a guest pick. It's true. Yeah, guest yeah. picks. Yeah. yeah, we don't count. Though. Andrew's not staff yet. I suppose. <sighs> okay. Well, uh, let's. There is a uh, permanent guest host open. Oh, fuck! <laughs> I knew this was coming. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, this is tough to say. <laughs> if I don't come back, I just want all of our listeners to remember that Eric Clapton's kid is dead. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Second time in a row. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Two in show. one podcast. Yeah. What? It's his calling card. No, just in case I'm now. not back. Just in case okay. I'm fired. All right. There's a preemptive. I just want people to know what my contribution was. <laughs> 
Thank you, Tim. I, I appreciate it. I, I, I need recurring joke, no matter how distasteful. I appreciate mm. it. I'm just always searching for the bottom. <laughs> I haven't found it yet. <laughs> mm. uh, let's talk about something that wasn't the bottom. That was tippy top. Yes. Do you like that? Do you like that segue? Top of, oh, well, top of the pop. Is it time for a game? Oh, I wasn't going to do that, but well, we what is it time what for? What was the tippy top? <laughs> what, was that if, what, what was that for? <laughs> Get your shit together. Play the fucking game. Let's do it. Play All the right. game. What was the tippy top? Now I got to know. It's a skyscraper, clearly. Oh. It's called. It's okay. Guess <laughs> the last Joey say it. picks. Yeah, he's right. I was gonna go talk about the camera and the cinematography. Doesn't matter. Oh, fuck. Yeah, never mind. Who cares? It's Oscar yeah, first. It's Oscar first. We'll go to Let's do another fun picks. one. Why not? Yeah. Already what are you doing? It. Are you pressing another we, button? I already pressed it. What are you doing? We already did the doing? song. You just didn't pay song attention. Already. He wants no, me to say, I, I love Jesus. I can't. Yes. I know. Fuck. Uh, I'll it's, say it's it. I love Jesus. <laughs> Happy? Oh, you're going to kick go it again. Okay. <laughs> we can't, we can't no, play. That okay. That doesn't do anything. Uh, I'm sorry, oh, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, my understanding <laughs> is that you can't edit these things. We are so professional. It doesn't usually happen, especially not on the first night. That's what happens when you donate. We gain the ability to edit the podcast. No, don't use that. I am not going to edit this shit. That is beyond the scope of the podcast. Once we get if people don't make a lot, maybe we can start filming If they keep donating, yes, we will definitely go up to video since we all fucking make films in some way, shape, or form. That just makes sense. But it is way more work and way more equipment. We so, are also yeah. all really good looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like faced for radio is you should, essentially. You should see the clothes we wear to these podcasts. Or don't wear. You'll yeah, find out. It depends. Anywhere. You donate. You can mm. yeah, you can request clothes or no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, when I order my dolls, yeah. I actually can request hey, clothes. If, oh, yeah. no if you donate yeah. so much by the next episode, we will hang dog. And no, that's not the dog's name. <laughs> okay, speaking that's of really hanging dog, let's talk about the best dong hanger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who hung the most dong in 1961? <laughs> So that translates as best actor, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> right. That, uh, obviously. Yeah, that, yeah. Everyone knows I mean, that. that's how you get the that's how you get that, right? That's how you win. <laughs> that's how you get a nom. Oh, yes, yes, of course, of course. Let's mm. let's talk about these five gentlemen. Spencer Tracy for Judgment at Nuremberg, Stuart Whitman, the Mark, Paul Newman, the Hustler, Maximilian Maximilian Schnell Shell for Judgment at Nuremberg, or Charles Boyer for Fanny. God, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. All right, Derek. Go Paul, Paul Newman, Newman, man. I'm gonna go yeah. Paulie as well. Yeah. Paulie Walnuts. Yeah. <laughs> Paulie Walnuts. I'm gonna go with Spencer Tracy. <laughs> Spencer Tracy. I, I forgot everyone but Paul Newman. So <laughs> there yeah. we go. Uh, the, the winner is actually Maximilian Schell. Oh no! Well, at least I got the movie right. For Judgment at Nuremberg. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. Incorrect. <laughs> the real winner is Paulie Walnuts. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> Paulie Walnuts. <laughs> Paulie Walnuts. All right. Best actress. Uh, so, oh, these are good names here. Geraldine Page for Summer in Smoke. Piper Laurie, The Hustler. Audrey Hepburn, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Sophia Loren, Two Women. Or Natalie Wood, Splendor in the Grass. I don't even give a fuck if I'm wrong. Audrey Hepburn. Natalie, Natalie Wood. Yeah, I'm going Natalie. Yeah. I'm going to go with Sophia Loren because Two Women. Phenomenal film. That's a good thing we got Andrew because he knows his shit. It's Sophia Loren. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Okay. Good but job. seriously, see two women if you can is Sounds excellent. Well, and you know when we break sixty. So if you donate, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It might actually be before sixty when that came out. But 
Or is it, are we looking well, at this year? Well, like, if you donate, we will. Yeah, it yeah, does say nineteen sixty. That is interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay, that is weird. Well, I mean, what is it? Foreign films tend to usually take a year, uh, year before. Yeah, um, maybe a theatrical release. Okay. These kids today. Best director. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kramer, Judgment at Nuremberg. Robert Rosen, The Hustler. J. Lee Thompson, The Guns of Navarone. Federico Fellini, La Dolce Vita. Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins, West Side Story. I'm going to go with Fellini, even though I know he probably doesn't. Hustler. Who did Navarone? Uh, J. Lee Thompson. Yeah, sure. Sometimes I'm hopeful. Was the was Judgment at Nuremberg up yeah. on that list? Yes, it was. Stanley Kramer. I'm going to go with Stanley Kramer. The answer is actually Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins for West Side Story. I thought that might be it, unfortunately. Musicals. Yeah. Way to go, Academy. Always love musicals. The musicals. When you're they a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. There you go. <laughs> so that's where the Jets came from in this movie. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Jet yeah. fan. Okay. Best, yeah. callback. best motion picture. We got five this time. They keep going back and forth. I got we five got, on it. We got The Hustler, Judgment at Nuremberg, Fanny, The Guns of Navarone, West Side Story. West Side Story. Guns. Fanny. I'm just going gonna, gonna to keep on this trend of uh, Judgment at Nuremberg. The answer is West Side Story, mm, guys. Damn. Old Dang, Tamer. Fanny lost out. What? They love so great. No one musicals. has ever booed Old Tamer. <laughs> Fanny was great. All right. Uh, so we're going to move on to what I tried to segue to Jesus earlier. Christ. Going to be awkward. But Sean, uh, at least kind of introduce kind of what this movie looked like to us. Yeah, what did it look like, yeah, Sean? What did it look us. like, Sean? Go. Yeah. Looked like a lot of reflections. Um, there's uh, maybe it's a movie uh, about reflecting upon oneself. One could say uh, such things. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of architer, ar- architecture <laughs> shots in this movie that you guys were talking about earlier. Um, this guy he obviously loves himself some fucking buildings. Um, I don't know if there's a such thing as an architectophile or something, but uh, he there is, is now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, as I was saying earlier, there were some lighting choices I definitely questioned. Um, but other than that, it was really pretty. Um, uh, just It was boring, but pretty to watch. Um, lots of wides, a couple of uh, random, very extreme close-ups, um, mainly in the POV shots at the end when she's reading yeah. the letter to him. That always is just very awkward to me. Um, yeah. I understand the context and it's like supposed to be someone up in your face, but like that just feels very awkward. Although I don't like anyone up in my face that much. So maybe yeah. that's just part of it too. You just don't want to be intimate. But I mean, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Fair. No, I agree. I think I, at that moment I was like, that was thrown off. But you can still get that same effect from a longer lens further away and still get that same framing size of close up without having that like weird bulbousness in your face sort of feel. So you can, you, you can choose to fill the frame in different ways, depending on how you frame that shot. And you you can still get that feeling of intimacy without that awkwardness. But I believe that awkwardness was very intentional in this Fair. moment. would agree with that. Um, Andrew, uh, what do you think about the, the overall look? I think the overall look of the film um, is, I think lighting, I think is something that's not, it's never really been a hundred percent important to Antonioni. That makes um, sense. It was very uh, natural. I, I don't want. I hate the word natural, but yeah, yeah there was a very. I mean, it, it is natural, and it's also very stylized at certain points. I mean, his, his cinematographer. Um, look up the name here because I remember half of it. Oh, I can and never remember fucking cinematographer. Gianni Di Venanzo. 
who has shot for some of Italy's greats, including Fellini, Visconti, mm-hmm. uh, other things for Antonioni as well. Um, and it, he is someone who's always very adventurous in his camera work and always willing to go along with whatever he can do to facilitate his director's vision, mm-hmm. whether that be the incredibly stylized black and white and shadows of something like eight and a half or massive candlelight scenes of something like the leopard, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I think much of this movie is dominated by Antonioni's eye. I think it is a hundred percent his vision of the film. And as Sean mentioned, so much of this film is dominated by architecture. And I think we had talked about earlier about that skyscraper in the opening of the film. I think coming down that size skyscrapers, we do presenting that unique view of Milan, you're stuck putting something in, in frame. So he's already framing things. So he's telling you from, frame one of the movie that architecture is a framing device for this film that everything in a sense is framed within something whether it be a window frame building or a corner or you know a fountain that we're seeing the going through and i think so much of that is used to give expression to what these characters cannot simply say and i think it's a very poetic way of doing that and it allows you to sort of give your exposition visually as the age-old cliche of show don't tell Mm. um just you know, because we are existing in a visual medium, per se, for film. Um, I think one of the things that I find so interesting that uh, Antonioni does with this movie is there's so much lingering on spaces, either before or after characters enter or leave the frames. And it's this it's a thing in Italian cinema called Tempi Morti, which essentially translates to dead time. Mm. It's, not, it's a very little translation of, literal translation of that, but essentially it's this sort of moments of non-action of something that, maybe isn't necessarily happening that's driving the plot forward or, you know, maybe advancing us from one scene or a transition to from this to that, but it's giving you this ultimate sense of space and this feeling of environment and mood. Uh, I think one of the best examples of that is this, there's a scene during the uh, Lydia's walk throughout the city where she's going and you see this sort of post on the ground and then you're kind of just sort of looking at this post and the camera's moving along post, you see another post, and then all of a sudden Jean Moreau enters and starts kind of zigzagging her way throughout the post, and all of a sudden there's an old woman who is just sitting on one of the posts, but in exactly in position as if she's just simply part of that architecture and part of that feeling, and these characters that exist in these that move in and out of the frames that are of no consequence to the story or the characters whatsoever, other than just simply just be part of that environment and that mood, and Antonioni works that so well into the story. I think one of the other things that I really love that he does is he makes brilliant use of white walls, which as cinematographers often tend to be the thing that we hate the most. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a scene early on where um, Giovanni and Lydia go to visit their friend Tommaso in the hospital. And most of the early conversation in that scene where Tommaso is talking to both to Giovanni, who's sitting on his bed, and Lydia, who's standing behind him, is shot looking at Tommaso, and he's kind of shoved off to the right corner of the frame. And, you know, he's, he's more or less a medium shot, kind of waist up, and they're to the right. But And then there's a huge space of white wall, and then the back corner is this just a piece of Lydia's arm. And you're already getting the sense that there are spaces, there are furniture, there are pieces of building that are separating people, that are preventing that connection. And then further into that sequence, um, the woman in the room next to Tommaso um, drags Marcello Mastriani's character into the room and starts to kind of sort of force herself upon him, and they're put against this flat white wall. There's something. There's, there's no escape. There's no shape. There's no texture. You have a very hard lighting with a very defined shadow mm-hmm. against that wall. Mm-hmm. 
and it's very, very obvious that they're against this sort of flat space. Yeah. There's no depth to the shot, and it's just compressed in, and there's just sort of that no escape. And then, you know, we move something more freeform as Lydia's wandering throughout the city and looking through these windows and reflections and looking in through windows and then also seeing herself reflected in them or herself reflected in a fountain. So there's this great use of space and the world around them to express what these characters want to say, want to express to both themselves as well as to each other and just find themselves incapable to do that. Mm. Well, yeah, you mentioned Mm. the... um the shot where she, like, we just see a corner of her arm, like, and mostly just white wall buildings and whatnot. That struck, like, that moment specifically struck me just because, especially a lot of the movies that we've been watching in the show recently have been Academy 35. So just, like, having that new toy kind of to play with of this sort of wider screen aspect ratio, it felt like a lot of this was just kind of experimentation. Like we have this new sort of frame to play with. Let's see what the fuck we can do. Um, You know, there were some unconventional like non-rule of third shots and like, you know, uh, you know what we would call Mr. Robot shit today. Um, But, you know, just that idea of, well, I... (laughs) Who would call it that? <laughs> that's, um, that's the reference these days yeah, because yeah. it 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 is like um, it's using things like this basically. That's, that's basically small, they watch more small picture like, shit. It yeah, is small picture they, shit. They, they uh, it was it was movies. a popular reference for about six months in the zeitgeist. Um, but you know, I like to hang on to my references. But either mm. way, it it definitely felt like a um, a new exploration for them, and they were like trying things, and they they did make it visually interesting, but a lot of it did feel a little bit awkward to me in that that sort of sense um you were talking about the the sort of like hanging on to the the you know the the ending of scenes and like lingering on these shots that is something i i i absolutely despise and um you know seeing this i i now understand a lot of arguments i've had with some students um but it is it's uh definitely one of those things that just it feels very very forced and very unnatural in most instances unless you can pull it off extremely um i don't know agilely and sort of beautifully like it's it's really hard to just show a wall of nothing and make it work in a movie um i think they did a couple of good a couple of they 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 succeeded and failed in in both those things yeah i agree i think it was definitely most of the time it was great i did love those those moments and obviously i like the the sitting in the space the one moment i thought it was was not so great was when we were outside the car and we were just kind of lingering along the car and that tracking shot was just a little bit too long i thought but again I'm I'm being nitpicky. It was still really interesting. And I like that you talked about that that idea of lingering in the space because it made me feel so much like an architectural movie and that, that all about architecture is like be existing in a space. When I, I know, I hate when people say this, but I took an architecture class in college. I know that sounds Ooh. really lame. Ooh. But guess what, guys? Yeah, I know, I know a little bit. Yeah. You're so a brutalist. Anyways, Check out one, the brain. One, out, one, right. of the, one of the assignments was to go into DC and to sit in the Hirshhorn which is basically this big fucking museum, which is like a big donut. And you sit in the middle of it and you're supposed to like draw it and experience the space and draw it while you're in the space. So I thought that was kind of cool because it really, it made me understand a lot of what Antonioni was trying to do here because you really felt like, well, one, first of all, this mansion and the golf course and all these different locations are amazing. He, he's a great knack for just picking cool ass spots. Like I can't imagine what he would do in like a Frank Lloyd Wright 
you know, house or something like that. But I, I just love the way that like at the, even in the end, they ended up in the sand trap, you know, something simple like that, or mm. just, just the way that she was blocked in between, you know, pillars or the way that they were just across from each other in the, you know, the chess match of the checkerboard. I mean, there was just so many beautiful uses of the space and, you know, obviously there's so many things you can do, but like, I think just giving Antonioni two actors in a space, he's going to figure out a way to make it extra meaningful and, and put that extra layer in there. And I thought that was, was, I don't know, sorry, from yeah. nerding out again. Um, so I, I don't have really totally anything to add from this movie, but I have two things. I'm going to talk anyway. Yeah, I'm going to talk <laughs> anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You're damn right. Uh, That's the thing no, of the so, podcast. Kind of. So basically, yeah, basically, um, uh, and I didn't find the quote, but I will paraphrase what he said. Uh, he talks about the fact that he likes cloudy days because he doesn't like uh, he doesn't like to be limited where he's putting the camera sure. mm-hmm. when he gets there. Cinematographer loves clouds. Um, and then I'll 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 explain it a little further because uh, he does where he talks about the fact that you know if you shoot from like a certain area, obviously the the cameraman's shadow is in the frame, and then so it's limiting your angles. And he likes to be almost unlimited. And then he talks about um, that actually he doesn't, uh, and this, I know, I, almost everybody says this, but he says he doesn't read what he has to film in the morning. Instead, he sw- says he has a, knows a script by heart. And uh, when he arrives on the studio, he says uh, he asks everybody to leave. Uh, and he stays alone for 15 to 20 minutes trying to figure out the camera angles for that day and everything. Uh, and then, um, Why not he just show up early? says, um, he says, I always, <laughs> <Power move. laughs> totally. yeah, that's, that's what it is. Hey, Hey, that's what it is. Uh, I always use the dolly. Even if I have a film, uh, a fixed frame, he goes on there where he says that he doesn't, he like, he doesn't like to do, move the dolly laterally. But as we saw, there was, of course, it yeah. ends on an instance of that. Uh, but for the most part, I guess he doesn't usually like to do that. Um, <laughs> and then of course he says, like some people do it different. Uh, it's a legitimate system. I'm not saying it isn't like the other people's way, but how they succeed in filming from little drawings and little sketches that they did on paper is a mystery to me. <laughs> I think that frame composition is a plastic fact, a figurative fact that must be seen in its correct dimension. Uh, the acting has value in its relation to the frame composition. A line spoken by an actor at three quarters is different from that same line spoken at full face or in profile. It takes on a different value, a different meaning. Yeah, so, definitely agree there. The, Fair place, uh, dude. Well, yeah, I mean, just the the idea of directing, like storyboards can only take you so far. But once you mm-hmm. actually get things in a space and start moving a camera through there, that's when you actually decide where things go. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, you can run through it in your mind as many times as you want, but until you see it through the lens, it doesn't really fucking click. Mm-hmm. Yep. One critique I had, and which is a little bit of a stunt sequitur, because he, he is an amazingly visual director, and I, it is a masterful everything about it I'm not, from a Philistine point of view but there was one moment where I noticed <laughs> I hated it but it's I great. love that you latched <laughs> onto the word Philistine it's not yeah, just, I'm gonna, I mean I'm gonna own it right it's yeah that's ownership. fair that's fair anywho the, the one moment I noticed that wasn't great performance wise was when we had the mother come in with Tommaso mm-hmm. in the scene where he's sick and yeah. instead of the mother kind of coming in and kissing Tommaso comforting him you know he's sick he's dying she kind of just entered and like put her stuff down and walked over I'm like is that really what would do. I thought that was a little strange. And maybe that was on purpose, I guess, to, to throw me off or there was some weird relationship thing there. But I was like, that's, that's weird. The, I don't think the mother would do that. I thought the mother was strangely- Especially an Italian. I always wonder about societal norms in moments like that. True. 
You know, okay. it's like, what don't I know? Yeah. I yeah. Like, I just feel like a mother that sees her son about to die, you think she would greet him. She traveled eight hours on the train yeah. and she's like People ready to stay up all night and stay with him. Yeah, People act I, in I, weird I, ways in yeah. those situations. I assumed that I she had already it. been there. I didn't I didn't think that this was her first arrival. Oh, I definitely oh, got the impression said, this was her first. Didn't she say she yeah. came from the- Yeah, you just yeah. got off the train and you're going to stay up with me all night or whatever yeah. it was. she put her stuff down. Okay. Well, well I just learned obviously something someone's new a good right reader. now. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Just, you know, be nicer moms out there. You know, show a little affection is all I'm trying to say. Love us. <laughs> I need love. <laughs> the only kind of other major note that I have um, with relation to architecture space and particularly the way that the movie is photographed is the use, um, the way that movie shifts from walls that are barriers as in solid state or not state, solid design to glass walls. Mm-hmm. So you go through the most of the first part of the movie where the walls are predominantly solid. Yes, there are some glass windows that we do see through here and there. But then moving to the industrialist house for where the entire mm. you know final part of the film takes place, there's not a solid wall in that house. Everything is glass. Mm. So all of a sudden, the idea of a private life or a private moment doesn't exist anymore. Everyone can simply look through and see what everyone else is doing. They may not necessarily be able to hear everything per se, but mm. you have this space that is now common and connected, but there's still a barrier there as well. Mm. I think so many of the way the scenes are blocked through that use of sort of transitioning from being in a reflection to being physically in a space. And I think that the the moment where Mastriani's character first sort of introduces himself to Monica Vitti's character and starts out watching, the camera sort of watches her play this game there, and then he steps into a light, revealing him in a reflection, watching, and then we linger there for a moment. And then as he steps out, that almost sort of darkens as if they're sort of rotating a polarizing filter or doing an iris pole of some sort to sort of get him out of that reflection as he steps into another reflection then into the rooms is sort of like figure floating through spaces that can't really seem to materialize. And I think that's maybe a little bit too high-minded of a reading. No, of that, I like but I, that. I think there's mm. that sort of space lends itself to that sort of both blocking and sort of scene reading as well as commentary as well yeah, yeah to me yeah. that's the stuff that like actually works on multiple levels so like even if you don't go in and analyze it as much as you do the it should still be the feeling that comes across to the audience right. and you don't have to understand every sort of moment by moment from the intellectual uh intention of the director but as long as that mood and that feeling and that that sort of you know uh that yeah, just that sort of gutness comes through. Like that is the important part of that stuff. But that's some of the best parts of his stuff is that kind of because it's almost like that specific part is kind of like uh, it starts off ambiguous. Mm. You don't know the relation yeah. of anything. Um, and and then especially with the resolution. reflection, sometimes it's like hard to tell like what's in one side of the wall and what's in the other side. Exactly. So yeah, I think, you don't yeah. know what's going on. And um, but then there's a resolution all in the same shot, and he does that a lot. Like, um, I remember there's sometimes, I think it was like Eloclis where, where he, um, where there's like a, just a pan and then it, initially it's not, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, oh, this is kind of not that, that good of a shot. And then it resolves into this thing. And it's kind of like, uh, what is that in music, right? Where you have a dissonant and then it it's resolves. A glissando. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Glissando corner with yeah. dissonant. So it's like a dissonant. <laughs> With the resolution. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. you sense the resolution coming. It's like, ah, 
I, yeah, it is really, I actually, I know this is a modern comparison, but I felt like there was that shot in Breaking Bad where they had that tracking shot in the kitchen in one of the final episodes mm. of Breaking Bad where they reveal uh, Walter in the, the corner. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it felt like that where there was a lot of moments where it was like, oh, they're moving, they're moving, they're moving. oh, wow, the perfect ending. And you mm -hmm. see like the symbolism, like there's, you know, there've been pillars between them. There's maybe he's bigger. And I thought that was great. The way the reflection changed the size yeah. also, mm -hmm. you know, you felt like he was a bigger character there. We're trying to be this image of a bigger character. And again, him being this guy who's just pretending to be this Casanova guy, you know, or, we, or going through the motions rather. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's an interesting comparison. That is a shot I specifically use as an example in my classes, that Breaking Bad shot where people, or where we start like with the camera, not, not reviewing the guy. And I thought that was a very interesting in the scene where he first meets her in that sort of checkerboard, you know, um, uh, game room or whatever yeah, the hell that is. I don't even know. Well, it's it, not it wasn't shuffle. She was just fucking around. Yeah, like, yeah. She was yeah. like makeup thing. It was yes. a dance floor, I think. Thing. Yeah, dance floor. I thought it was like some weird checkers or something. Well, yeah, no, it was. I was just laughing because I said big chess. I'm being an idiot. Big chess. Yeah. That's yeah. all dance is. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah, true. It's a, it's a, it's a match. Um, but those, that shot and that reveal, like just that simple pan over changed your entire perspective of like his relationship to her. Like when we first start watching it, it feels like he might be like two rooms away, like watching through a couple of panes of glass right. and kind of like observing from a distance and then like when the shot completes you realize like no he's just kind of like creepily standing there like just yeah. watching her do this thing mm. and that just yeah changes like the whole connotation of everything that happens beforehand very true there's also that whole sequence is also a great use of who's upstairs who's yeah. downstairs and that sort of shifting power relationship and also perception relationship of who's looking down on whom who's looking up on whom so another thing for you guys who haven't seen the movie yet or and I can watch it, or those that you're going in for a rewatch <laughs> after this whole discussion, thing to look for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Derek, do you have uh, any other reviews ready that we could maybe read? Well, I do have Show one me that what I you've thought got. was. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought one was interesting. Um, Is it mine? Uh, well, Sean turned me on to uh, <laughs> real to, bad. Stay tuned, uh, uh, Patreon uh, Patreon subscribers for Sean's review. Yes, absolutely. Pa pa Patreon yeah, donators. You know, Sean will review it if you donate. If you donate <laughs> Patreon, if fifty people donate five dollars, he'll, he'll re-review it after he after he pans it really bad. Uh, okay, so I've got so he turned me on to this Letterboxed. So I'm going to go with two reviews from Letterboxd. They're both very brief. Mm. Um, there wasn't a very good one on the other. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. They're really stupid. Hey. Um, this one is not necessarily that great, but. Uh, Scott's twenty three twenty three. Hmm. What he is a Jim Carrey fan? Oh, that's his name. It. That's the name of the. Yeah, that's the name of the yeah. person. Mm. He rates uh, it two uh, two stars mm. out of five, and he says, um, "Everybody was looking to get laid in this movie, <laughs> but no one was sure by who." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. rules of the game. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, it was basically rules similar. of the game yeah. according to him. Uh, okay, and then um. Then there's a, another one that I want to review uh, by Andrew. That was the whole thing? <laughs> that's, that's, it. That's, it. that's it. That's the whole thing. This is the second one. Two stars by Andrew. Not this Andrew. I Clearly. hope not. Nope. Okay. Not. Okay. Uh, two stars. Andrew. Uh, guy behind me in cinema watching La Note. He watched it somewhere in the cinema. Oh, that's awesome. so dope. Yeah. When, uh, when, when Monica Vitti turned up in a black wig, 
He said, It's Monica Vitti. <laughs> now she's in a black wig. Uh, anyway, I hated everyone in this film, and once they got to the house party, it became intensely boring. Uh, I love that review, right? Yeah, and it's still going here. Let's see. Uh, it. Let's see. Once they got to the house party, it became intensely boring. The hospital scene at the beginning was interesting, and the nightclub dance was at least fun to watch, but. Good God, this dragged, and I absolutely do not care about what happens to anyone. And then he's got, he said, his favorite is The Passenger. Then, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And then... He thinks this movie's boring, but he did. He loves The Passenger. He loves The Passenger, then he likes La Clisse, and then he likes Red Desert, and he likes La Ventura, and then The Lady Without... Come, he may spell that. Kombucha? I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then Lenote. This no, one. that's coming out next. This year. one's his <laughs> least favorite, but he hasn't mm. watched all of them clearly. So, uh, gotcha. yes. yeah, yeah. Come I, on, Andrew. I agree with pretty much everything Other you said. Andrew. Yeah. Other Andrew. Not our, not our guest. Not, not this Andrew. No. Yeah. Why do you got to be fucking shit up, man? <laughs> Confusing the audience. I know, right? People, people Sorry, should not I'll, be named Andrew. You yeah, should dude. change your yeah. name, Andrew. We can't talk to this guy. We can't make one. him do it. Yeah. Yeah. Derek definitely can't think on his feet. You need to legally change your name. Yes. <laughs> not at all. Donate to the Patreon and I might. Oh, yeah. oh exactly. Yeah. New goals. He just got my vote for being invited back. Yeah. Mm. If you plug, you get back. <laughs> if you donate yeah. to the Patreon, Andrew Pearson will appear If it's again. enough money, you can even come up with a suggestion for his new name. Solid. Mm. And he'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they don't need to know that. They don't. <laughs> Michelangelo Pearson. Yeah, maybe. I'm right. super down with that. That's pretty cool. I'll nice. front the fake. Cool. Donatello. <laughs> Donatello Pearson. Michelangelo Donatello Pearson. <laughs> uh, okay, we're going to move on to our final uh, segment here before we rate the thing. Let's talk about any errata, miscellaneous, any, er- er- errata, any errata. other things you want to bring up? The little fucking slinky thing she was playing with. What? So she's wandering around in the scene in the bedroom trying oh, to like fend completely. off her, her uh, you know, sexual oh, advances. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's what got was this, that like, thing? It's like somewhere between a Rubik's Cube and a Slinky and a bracelet. Yeah, she puts like, it on her it arm. It looks like yeah. a potpourri bowl or something like well, that. Like a collapsible. Shapes, yeah, yeah. There's more coming if you like that because she, she gets a lot of like playing <laughs> with things. And shit. Yeah. Oh my God, Derek's eyes just lit That's right. You're right. Yeah. If you don't, you can see them light up. That's it. Yeah, she has like a frame in Lickley's that she's like playing with and like framing herself within the frame. It's awesome. Frames and frames. Playing with her her son's toys in the desert. Ah, So good. You got issues, bro. But so, yeah. (laughs) Probably. um, Tim, you got stuff? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I got some stuff. Let me, uh, let me talk about the sad little more. (laughs) I know you hate this, guys. Uh, Yeah, that's, that's fair. You got a whole segment. That's not a rat. I know. Um, the missed opportunity I thought for the, when they had the English translation on the record player, when they were doing all the little phrases, I thought it needed a little more one EQ and reverb and it could have gotten louder. <laughs> like, so as you walk closer, it would have gotten louder and louder. And then he pulled it off. Yep. Okay. That's okay. Right. In my time. In <laughs> time. Sorry. I'm just trying to enjoy time. this. You you do that. 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 The little jangly no, thing she had should have had a better sound to it, right? That's very true. Now I feel there bad. There should have been some... It's okay. Been, uh, no, you can make fun of me. But speaking of sounds that I think were better. Jesus. 
the baby crying. Okay, the baby is, was like four or five years old, and the baby sound was like a, a one-year-old. Mm. Okay, guys. <laughs> I was really confused for a minute. It's a baby crying. That was a baby crying. It's a baby crying. It is, it is on par. Honestly, it's on par. Yeah. I think it's also too that like. You know, it's very clearly framed so you can't see, see that the, the baby is crying. Smiling, yeah. It's it's kind of cut off mm. right below, you know, right below the child's eyes. And just yeah. feels a little awkward. And every now and again, the child will, like, move its hands up as if someone's off frame trying to, like, get the child to parrot <laughs> yeah. what they're doing. Moral yeah. of the story, kids suck. Oh, God, yeah. 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 I mean, that framing's so low. You can I don't put know your- why... Sorry. Do this. You can do this. Yeah, you know, you, you can put your hands yeah, honestly, under yeah. the elbows of the kid, and, and that might make him force cry. him to do it. Realism. Yeah, realism. Tabasco works. Make too. your kids cry yeah. <laughs> if you learn anything. Just blow a straw full of Tabasco in his face. Totally. Action. Pepper <laughs> spray. Just <laughs> <laughs> fucking mace the kid. So now the sirens aren't showing up for the fireworks. They're showing up for your. Yeah. Anything for, art, Anything for art, bro. Anything for art, bro. For, um... Uh, you know, better than an open window. Yes. Uh, you don't get three. You're not allowed three. Yeah, you I'm can't gonna go for that. four, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, what, I want to add one more thing about Jeez, that. Just do it. Oh, okay. my God. The, the the movie Godzilla, the most recent one, used kids to get accurate screams. So they put kids on a bus and then got a fake Godzilla and put a big mask on him Jesus. and then put strobe lights in the bus and tried to scare the shit out of the kids and put microphones all around. So they actually wow. traumatized children to get wow, the accurate scream, dude. That makes cool. the movie a lot better. Cool. I mean, the, kids, the, kids knew, the kids knew the deal, I think, but they were, you know, it was good. That's that's still like, cool. It's like how it's, it's like, a haunted like house how they did the, the 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 demon sounds in Ghost. <laughs> they actually recorded demons. They, they no, no, children with demons inside. No, of them. they recorded they recorded babies crying and then played it backwards at like one eighth speed. Mm. Um, and so you, that's where you yeah. get that Makes sort sense. of like because that's already a sound that's like programmed into the human brain to like cause fucking anxiety. Yeah, to make you yeah. uneasy. Yeah. yeah, it's the exact sound also in The Last of Us. If you play that video game, the, mm. the, the mm. clickers. You just I just had it. that explained to me. Not that I've I've never played the game. I've just had people talk to me about it. Who's did the guy that it? does what? Did you watch that that movie that's a lot like it? What is it? The Quiet Place. Oh yeah. Oh not yeah. Exactly yeah, yeah. like yeah, the, the Office, game. but like bad. <laughs> <laughs> the Office, but well, well not the office bad, but like either. bad times. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> Evil Office. Yeah, Evil Office. Starring Jack and he goes ah. Yeah, yeah, you know, screams different to International yeah. Office, which is that Tom Clancy show on the Prime. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to uh, bring up in the Arata <laughs> portion, um, how'd you guys think about, or what'd you think about the uh, the slapping of the ninfo at the beginning? Uh, when they uh, when he gets pulled into the hospital room of the, it felt the, right. <laughs> I was, well, I that back. I was, I'm so sorry. Talking about the sound being off with that, that yeah, you know down. those those uh, I, the slaps needed to be more on they it because yeah. they were that was committed. That was if some they real can't slaps. get if they can't get a fucking champagne bottle opening correct, yeah, yeah, they're not going to slaps are not going to happen. Yeah. Slaps were bad. Yeah. I mean that's that's my only sound complaint. Also, are, are, are you talking the specifically about not, the sound? The wasn't about the, great. Like performance and the other the parts of that. We can, can talk about all aspects of slapping ninfos. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm not sure is why I continue to comment on that. Sean wants to listen back later while he's alone. Do they still put you in a hospital for that these days? Do you get to go to a hospital for that? If you're rich, yeah, exactly. You can go to a hospital for anything. I think honestly, I think that I mean the performance is. 
definitely over the top, particularly looking at it from today's yeah. standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I think, it, again, it's that idea, and I think it's something that is, you know, ex- especially that it is experienced by Mastriani's character, which I think is why he reverts mm-hmm. to that at the end of the film. So I think mm-hmm. it, that being there is a pivotal moment in the film, as mm-hmm. sort of oddly comedic as it may look to us now. Yeah. Um, but I think the, like, her performance, her pushiness, her yeah. sort of unstable aggression, and then also the reaction of the, the hospital staff that I think are very much just sort of fed up with it this, by yeah. this point, because they clearly yeah. just are like, no, 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 we're just, no, you're done. Quit trying to slam you know? ass! So, <laughs> but, you know, I think if that's that wasn't there, I think that would pull away some of the weight of what, Marcello Mastriani's character yeah. attempts to do at the right, end of the film. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it was important exposition for him, really. That's, also, that's how I saw the scene, at least. Yeah, also him telling the wife about it, too, yeah. of course, has a big mm-hmm. part of it. Where yeah. he's like, oh, well, he's not, I guess, a total asshole. He's just kind of partial asshole. Yeah, well, but again, it's all, it also goes back to that sort of that selfishness that it runs through his character, though, because right. he's like, oh, I need to tell you something that you may find unpleasant. She's like, do you really have to tell me? Mm-hmm. So I think she already has an idea of what he's right, going to say, yeah. but he forces her to go through that conversation as well. Again, just so that he can kind of get it off of his Clearing chest. his own conscience exactly. at her expense. Yeah. Uh, I had one question about the title. Um, La Note, the night. I mean, I get it. It's, it's happens in one night, I suppose, but uh, wh- wh- why is there extra meaning there? It's what as bland think? as the rest of the movie. The good title, bad title. I don't know. I think it's kind of a, mm, not, think... doesn't really describe the movie very well. I mean, how well does any uh, Antonioni uh, title, you know, like, how how does, uh, I'm going to go to the passenger just because that's the only frame of of reference that I have at this point. Um, But like, how well does that They're usually pretty literal. (laughs) They are, but the passenger is one that's not literal, though. That's true. Because the 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 passenger's title literally translated as profession reporter. Oh, yeah. So, because the the title of the passenger in Italy is Professione, I think reporter. I think is just because his character is English Repartoro. Yeah, yeah. But so, he's still naming them things that are literal. He, yeah. yeah, and but I think you know the 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 title of the passenger is I think much more figurative in terms of like being passive on identity and trying to translate identity and mm-hmm. assume something different just to change your life. I and mean, it's a whole different movie. Oh, fair. Maybe fair. maybe a different podcast, but. You know, I think as far back to Joey's question, I think it fits with the nature of this trilogy where you have right. these sort of literal titles that do have a literal meaning in the film. Maybe less with Leclise other than it just being the street light at the end of the film. Yeah. But they also have this sort of more existential meaning to this sort of, you know, with Love and Tour, this sort of idea of an adventure, which is not really an adventure, no. but more of an exploration of self. So the sort of reason why you might want to go on an adventure to learn more about yourself or to sort of self-awaken. Uh, La Note being, obviously, that takes place in the course of, you know, from one afternoon to dawn the following day. But I think also that sort of transition from day to night to day, sort of symbolically, and the sort of, you know, that you do sort of have these sort of somewhat brighter day tones at the start of the film where the dawn is very, very gray and dismal and there's an extreme lack of contrast that these characters are this, this world that is just dull and shapeless and lifeless. I think that may be part of where that sort of goes on sort of a meta level, I guess. We one way to phrase that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, hmm. it is dark. The ending's fucking dark. Um, you know, he ends up kind of just on top of her. and What? They end up together, happily yeah. ever after. As happily as one can be. 
Yeah, I think I, I and many, well, maybe I'm just, again, projecting. I mean, you know, the night is the darkness of, uh, you know, him taking over. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's that dark uh, impulses. And he was his, born in it. His li- <laughs> <laughs> That's good. He's molded by it. <laughs> and he ended up in the sand, you know, not uh, not in the beautiful green, the the fairway. He was, he was, he was, in, the, he was in the sand trap, you know? Yeah. Bad sand drive. Yeah. Gets everywhere. Yep. Of course. Of course. <laughs> By the way, I love that Vidi loved golf. That was my favorite thing. She was into golf. Mm-hmm. That, that would explain why they yeah. have a golf course at the yeah. back of their that house. Is, that is yeah. the first thing I thought when they yeah. walked into yeah. a golf course. It's like, like, oh, yeah, frame of reference for Vidi. Yeah. Yeah. I could play golf with her. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I've, I've had friends that have lived on golf courses. It's not Dark a, Derek. Yeah, I lived on a golf course <laughs> once for a few months. Pretty. <laughs> the wonderment in his eyes as wow. you reminisced about this. This was designed by Arnhem Palmer. Aren't they all? I think. I think so. <laughs> I think so. You know what's amazing is that Arnold Palmer, no matter what he does, drink. you know, no matter how many ma- you know majors it's a delicious he won, drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He I'm just gonna say he his drink, drink is gonna yeah. outlive anything he did. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It's like the Shirley oh. Temple. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what the real shame is? Is that uh, the uh, they don't make the big giant fucking cans of it anymore. They only have the light oh, of yeah, 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 at Seven yeah. Eleven. Yeah, yeah. It really chaps my ass. It does. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm you can get two Palmer cans fan. and mix them, but that's a pain in the ass because where are you going to mix them? And, yeah. Yeah. You got to buy a third can and empty it so you can get fucking. You got to buy a big can of something else then. Totally. And then you it, get like some flavor pollution going on. So it's, yeah. just, it's a zero sum game, basically. It's it really like that is. riddle in Die Hard 4 where you get the the two jugs and you got to fill one jug and not have it be too big. Is that the Sam Jackson one? Yeah, yeah. God, I love that one. That's a great one. So I was thinking of just one more. recommendations. Tiny bit of errata. So apparently the cinematographer of this died only five years after this mm-hmm. at an early age of 45 of viral hepatitis. Man. So, yeah. That hep will get so you. kind of a yeah, loss. You know, that's what Big we're loss. all looking out for. Yep. Watch out for the hep. Yeah. All right. On that happy note, let's... <laughs> on that happy note, let's... <laughs> let's uh, anybody? Happy anybody? Note. Donate, <laughs> donate to the Patreon and we'll do it again. <laughs> You guys both had good lines. I, I want to laugh at both. That's how so how much to stop the Clapton joke? Ooh. 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 I'll pay, I'll pay you know what? How, like, let's see. Uh, it's got to be 1,000 for, 1, for every floor. No, you know what? No, no, no. no. I, I, will, I will stop the Clapton jokes at, at listener request if we hit 10K subscribers. That's a lot. There we go. Until is- then... Fuck that dead fucking brat. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry, Eric. <laughs> he doesn't listen. He, he's already... I also yeah. don't belong there in heaven. Wow. <laughs> no, he listens to every episode and he's like, one day they won't make a joke about my kids. <laughs> and it's just happening in greater and greater frequency because I have so little like, self-control. Like Lucy oh, with the it again. oh, no, not again. Oh, I guess I'll listen to next week's. <laughs> if anything, we're making sure he's got good songs. You know, we'll keep writing good songs. Yeah, right? that's true. That's true. Or, or maybe every time he's like, oh, I really want to hear them talk about this movie. <laughs> that's what keeps bringing him back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's like, but they watched Lenote. Oh. 
God, I fucking hate it. If you guys would like to suggest something for us to watch, you can certainly. No, you know, no, absolutely not. Yeah, forget things to watch. And me and Andrew, me and Andrew have a recommendation for things to watch. But in addition, well, about once every month, I get a selection too. Okay, such as Jamie Jeffers' British History Podcast. Good yeah. Lord, has there ever is been that, content Is better? that as good as revisionist history? Because I've been listening to that one. That was really good. Was See, bad. I'm not listening that to revisionist. That was really good. I'm not listening to revisionist. I'm not listening to revisionist. Hardcore history. Hardcore history, too? I will second that one. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like British history, history podcast <laughs> goes from the fucking Ice Age to World War II, and I'm like, I'm not even to the Norman Conquest yet. It may and not I even just, still be going. That's about when it starts being British history, though, when it kind of just becomes French history. Sort of. So is that when Brian the Broken comes in? I mean, is anything British history after the occupation of Rome? No, because yeah. like the Pictish people start to get, you know, pushed away and, and killed off. And- Listen to what our podcast has become. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a good amount of Danish history that comes in from the north around that time, too, as well. That's true. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. A lot of Anglo Saxons. Cheese or apple? Uh, the Last Kingdom. All mm. about that. Hey. All about that. Is that right. interesting? Yeah, is that recommendation. Recommendation. Uh, recommendation. Uh, so, uh, uh, show. Yeah. Additional literal recommendation. Uh, we we mentioned it. this earlier in the, the podcast, but uh, probably the best film that I've seen this year, subjectively speaking, is uh, is the Last Black Man in San Francisco. I was mm. really deeply affected by that movie. I, I just really, I thought it was honest. I, I thought it was beautiful. I loved the cinematography of it. I loved Jonathan Majors' performance. I think he's fucking great. I actually just rewatched Hostels the other night for the sole reason of just like, oh, Jonathan Majors is in this. Um, but uh, yeah, go see that now. I didn't love it as much as you did, but it was enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, give it give it a minute, though. Like, it doesn't feel right when you start. You got to kind of sit oh, with it. Oh, it, ha- it fucking... had me from the beginning. Really? Uh, yeah, it really did. It's also, it's currently sitting at my pick for best cinematography of the year oh, so well. far, mm-hmm. uh, which means it'll likely get nowhere near a nomination. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, it's, it's a wonderful thing of all those things they tell you stuff. never to do exactly. in film school and just do them all. And there's yeah. a way to make them work, particularly like yeah. massive, strong front light. But the, well, yeah, but the thing yes. is, beautifully. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They did it with intent. There's a reason oh, they break those rules. Yeah, it's, it's not yeah. just breaking yeah. them. Yeah. The you got to know how to follow them in order to break them correctly. Uh, my, my recommendation this week is uh, yesterday. I saw yesterday. Um, it <laughs> was... <laughs> It was actually just pretty- opportunity for a rim shot there. Yeah, all right. True. <laughs> <laughs> That's the show's rim shot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was unexpectedly good. Um, really? Yeah, the uh, the previews do not really do it justice, and they kind of intentionally lead you in a false direction a little bit. Hmm. Um, it's a little bit like happier, funner movie than it's really portrayed as. Um, I don't know. I just kind of enjoyed it. Like it was fun. It was uh, uh, funny, and mm-hmm. it was well shot and enjoyable. Is, yeah. it, is it the feel good movie of the summer though? Um, there's really not much to contend with, so possibly. Toy Story, dude. Uh, I've not seen Toy Story yet, though. I would not call Toy Story the feel-good movie of the summer, that's for sure. Oh, have you Uh, seen it? Yeah. Okay, Um, I'm waiting until the kids thin out. I'm gonna go catch that Tuesday matinee when ain't nobody there. Yeah, that's definitely a good call. Yeah. Did you see either of them? 
I have. I've. I haven't seen yesterday yet. It's. It's on my list. I have seen Toy Story Four. Enjoyed it very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also definitely want to throw another big shout out to Booksmart. If oh, yes. those of you who have oh, not yeah. seen Booksmart, we, we've been talking about that. Okay. That, that was. That was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, The Dead Don't Die for those Jarmish fans out oh, there. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I did not still, like that, but I understand. I've been <laughs> sleeping on yeah. it. There's it's, some. You know, there's some Jarmish that I don't like, and there's there's a lot of Jarmish that I do, mm. and I'm excited to see which which this will. Uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, to be, you know, expect the driest, most sort of blatant joke Jarmish that you can yeah. get out of it because that's very much what the movie is. And it, I definitely, it's not a movie for everyone, that's for mm-hmm. sure. But yeah. if you are a big Jarmish fan, if you love the sort of very dry humor, yeah, he gets wonderful performances out of everybody in that very dry yeah. way that only Jarmish, I think, can really kind of pull off. And there's just, it's just a lot of fun. You know, for those of you that hate zombie movies out there, is it going to fix zombie movies? Definitely not, but well worth a watch. Yeah. yeah to yeah, me, see, it's in I, that Wes Anderson camp. I just, yeah. Like, I understand that people yeah. like it, but damn. He's got a, he's got a, mm, exactly. a sort of a <laughs> je ne sais quoi to him that, uh, mm. that you know, is, is not present in Wes Anderson. I, mean, I don't know. Til, Tilda Swinton is worth the price of admission in that movie. I will just say that. I think Dead Man's That's great, cool. too. Like, Dead Man? Jarmusch. Yeah. Jarmusch is Dead Man's like... You know, I've actually, I've only incredible. read the script. I've never seen the movie. Really? Yeah. You should watch a movie. Uh, uh, but uh, Only Lovers Left Alive is personally, like, I think that's my favorite Jarmusch. Mm. That or Broken Flowers. Mm. Um, I really liked both of those. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's rate this movie, actually. You know what movie is this? Joey? Nah, nah, nah. Oh. Yeah, Godzilla movie. was all right. I thought that movie was going to blow dicks, but yeah, it yeah. didn't. Yeah. Um, it was just just vague enough in in the plot points and mm. like the characters and stuff like that because plots don't work in movies like that. I've noticed that with especially like the movies made for the Chinese market that mm-hmm. it seems to be less character and more just big plot points. Yeah, yeah. It, tra- it translates better internationally yeah, yeah. but I, I will say if you guys want the best visualization of America you're going to get Godzilla mm-hmm. King of the Monsters definitely has mm-hmm. that where you find a place that no one has seen before full of history and Art and ruins and all this lovely things you do. And what do you do? Crush it. (laughs) 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 Philadelphia bombed itself in 1986. That's true. Either way. It um, was an entire block. So, uh, Tim, what did you think of this movie? (laughs) You want me to go first? Sure. Okay, oh, Derek, Jesus what did you think Christ, of this movie? Dude. How many I times do we have to explain a, this shit well, to you? Yeah. Wait, well, I he, he goes last. Why is He goes last because he, he has no real rating system. Okay, I don't really care about that. Let me be clear. I don't give a shit about that order. I just go to whoever I just see. That's all. Okay, yeah. I give it a 10 out of 12. Real high. I like it a lot. Yep. That's pretty much it. That's it. Okay. Uh, Sean, what did you think? All it needs. Um, man, you guys, you guys almost convinced me that I kind of like this movie, but I still can't buy into it. Um, I'm going to have to go with one star. <laughs> I did not enjoy watching this movie. Um, there's obviously some stuff to take away from it. One out of five stars. Um, that is, you know, there's some pretty stuff in there, but like, Jesus fucking Christ, get to something. 
like it just takes forever to do anything and then it doesn't really do anything and i know some people love that shit but i just it's fucking great. despise it this is what i call a small talk movie people get together and they fucking just talk about inane shit and you're supposed to like gather a bunch of information based on the nuances of all the bullshit that these people spew i hmm. fucking hate small talk in person this is what I we call hate good small dialogue. Talk movies. it's called dialogue yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's called good dialogue <laughs> It's, it's engaging in the sense that you know, yeah. you're you got to read in... between the lines, Sean. And yeah. read the subtitles, and that's important. Also mm. that. Yeah. yeah, Sean doesn't read. No, no, that's definitely... <laughs> Sean, if there weren't subtitles, Sean it'd be a two-star like movie. But yeah. <laughs> subtitles definitely deduct a star. Yeah. Okay, Andrew, uh, what did you think about this movie? Uh, I'm, I'm in the same vein with Derek. I would, you know, I would go either a 10 out of 12 or maybe an 8.5 out of 10, depending on how you want to characterize your scale um yeah i think i mean it's it's not my favorite of antonioni's films but it is definitely up there um i think there's so much to take away from this film on almost every aspect of filmmaking and i think of just and commentary as well cool uh i would give this movie a seven out of ten i think it's actually really beautiful there's some absolutely gorgeous shots um all of just the spaces and architecture are just fun to just live in and just be in. So just on that level is really fun. Um, I, I did like the relationships. It's complicated. If you if you are buying into it and you you follow along with the characters and you dig the dialogue, yeah, it's actually really interesting. The character, you know, the relationship between the wife and the and the husband. But I will say I do agree with Sean. It dragged for me. I didn't really dig it the whole time. I was like a little bit bored at some moments, but. Overall, just like there's so much you can get out of this movie. So I think it's, uh, it's definitely a, a necessary watch. So, uh, Tim, let's go to you. What do you think? Well, you know, I thought about it for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's why we don't start with Timmer. <laughs> I, would say, I would say that this, this movie is the music of a death rattle. Um, you know, and it is, it is music to me. Like, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a... It's got quiet moments, but it's it's really, you know, I said this before, but it's it's just to me it's a film about life after the death of love and in the vacuum thereof, you know, and set amongst the purgatory of high society. Um, but I liked it very much and I uh, can't wait to watch it again actually. Very cool. Okay. Um what are we watching next week? Tim did we talk about this already? Yeah, we said we, this before. Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to watch this apparently because we keep well, bringing we keep guests. guests. <laughs> no, no, actually, we love the guests. Um, but uh, when we get around to it, which may happen next week, and Be if prepared. you donate, you can make it a reality. Um, uh, we're going to watch Grigory Chukre's Ballad of a Soldier, 1959. Um, <laughs> Chukre. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, 1959 Ballad of a Soldier. Um, it's a Russian film. I don't believe we watched any Russian films, uh, on the podcast yet. So I'm excited to see that perspective on, uh, All montage. on the, on the medium. Mm. Um, and, uh, I personally, as well as Derek, uh, I don't think I've got, I don't think I've got, uh, uh, who's that feller? Uh, who's that feller? Which feller? You know that feller? Which fella? You know George that Orwell. Give me more about it. No, that Russian fella. Oh, Tarkovsky? Yeah, I don't know if Tarkovsky's Ooh. dick is far down my throat as Derek does. Jesus. But uh, uh, I do love Russian cinema, and I love the long, 
dick. Dry. <laughs> <laughs> I love the long, dry dick of Russia. Um. <laughs> Shot of vodka helps the medicine go down. I, I think that might be a button. Yeah, well, that's a drop. That's a drop. That's, that's the uh, 2020 election in a nutshell right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, either way, we're watching Ballad with Soldiers. It's going to be pretty good. Tune in. Okay. Um, so thank you for listening. Also want to thank Andrew for guesting. Yeah, thanks for appreciate coming it. on. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for having, having you a great time. Yeah, yeah, appreciated your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anytime. And on, also uh, appreciated you breaking Antonioni to us. Uh, that's been something that we've talked about in the past. Uh, Derek was yes. very, very, very excited yes. to do that. Yes. Um, you know, it's it's nice to... I'm looking forward to... I'm, I'm glad that we're taking as much time as we are getting to crossing the border of 60. Right. But I'm really, really excited to get to that point. Cause I really feel like that's, to me, I think it's a big turning point start, in cinema. You know, it's sto- tours, well, it stops you know? being a picture business yeah. and it starts being an art form. It's um, like, a, it's like for, for Fuck yourself. It's like <laughs> for, for painting. It's like 1863, right? When, sure. Uh, yes, when Monet exactly. came out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you not know this reference? So, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you don't? 1863. Okay, so let me give you a brief history. Okay, so basically all of art, right? All of painting yeah. was done by like it was done Douchebag. by artists, but it was for either royalty mm. or for the church. Dick. Right? Okay. So well, around 18 no, hang on a second. <laughs> around 1863. Right mm-hmm. there is a uh, uh, in Fucking in hippies. France. There's a thing God called the it, salon. Mm-hmm. Okay, stop interrupting. There's a thing called there's a thing called the fucking salon. Okay, all right. It's then then there becomes this salon like the things that were fused for the salon. So because it's like an elite group that's picking what goes there. It's like the Tolkien there's something thing. that there's something that Manet does that is uh, really controversial and it like shows up in the refused salon like thing and it's super controversial and this actually is what most people think starts uh what is one of your favorite movements which ends up leading to pollock essentially Mm. uh and impressionism and things such as that and this was in 1863 so i think this is sort of around the filmic time in which you start getting more auteurs who start making things uh that are more uh personal films Instead, which is what impressionism is. It's a personal thing for an artist just instead draw of goddamn apple. just doing something for somebody <laughs> else. But there, but it, it times out right, right? Because uh, for painting, right, photography was coming along, so there was no need for an accurate photo representation of something. Impressionism was kind of necessary, right? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. A little history. Thanks, Terry. Should we end and this that's, freaking you know, podcast? Coincides a bit with you know the rise of TV. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Eighteen sixty-three, eighteen sixty-three, yeah. Good old eighteen sixty-three. Fuck. If you got, if you got what I was talking about, can you give me a call at six six zero seven two three nine seven three zero? TV tuberculosis is what I'll pick up every time of day. All right, Sean. Uh, what other shows can we watch on the Fogcast Network? Well, you can uh, first off head on over to Patreon slash Fogcast. That's F A U C A S T to donate to any one of our shows. Uh, you can choose your favorite or donate to all of them. It's totally up to you. Timmer uh, needs new shorts. Yeah, obviously uh, there are 
many things we could uh, be doing there. But uh, you can check out all the fine shows on the podcast network. We got the literary, literary. We got going down on South Park. We got Paula Tinkering. We got Tech Before Calling. We got Wild Wild West World. We got this lovely show that you're listening to, Celluloid Breakdown. Thank you all for joining us. It's been super dope. Good Truthy. job, everybody. Yay. That's mm. my time. It's still recording? Reclaiming my time. Okay. Reclaiming my fact, time. Reclaiming my time. Would you please explain the rules? Either way, and do meatballs not on pizza is not a fucking thing. It's not. It's not a fucking thing. No, it's not normal. Also, we've not had just, that here. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not a thing. I like it, but it's not normal. 